faction-focused Sylvaneth 2.0. Not only is this faction-focused with uh, with the AOS coach, but I have an amazing range of guests. And this is co-brought to you by... Mortally Wounded Podcast. This is episode 27. And this is our host, Chris Welfare. So Chris, uh, Chris from the Mortally Wounded Podcast is the co-host. Uh, but more importantly, we have an amazing range of guests. Um, first off, uh, someone who probably needs no introduction. It is Shadowhammer himself. Liam, how are you, sir? Give us the I'm intro. Good. I'm great. How is everyone? I am Liam, also known as Shadowhammer, also known as Shitstir of Twitter and stuff. Um, yeah, it's great to be here talking about trees again. So yeah, super excited. And yeah. you've been playing for with the trees now for how long? Uh, since AOS General's Handbook 1, pretty much. So is that like three years now, almost, guys? I have no idea. Yeah, three years. And it was like my first love army. And every time when I go to a different army, within like three months or so, I go back to trees. So yeah, been, it's like an on and off love with them. It's like that like side chick kind of thing. It's like, it's nice to know it's there. So yeah. You're, you're, you're a tree that uh, will never die, like a cactus. Uh, sure. Someone who someone who's not like a cactus because he's sweet like nectar is Laurie uh, from the UK. How are you, Laurie? Uh, morning. Uh, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, um, I'm Laurie Haggartwild or Hugh Wigbit or various other names, um, whatever you want to call me. I have a stupid surname. Uh, I've been playing with trees for similar amount of time actually. I think since General's Handbook, they um the first army I picked up. I've dabbled with Daughters of Cain. I've dabbled with uh, Blades of Corn. But similarly, you um you just can't you keep on coming back to them. The way they play, I've got such a unique style that whenever you go away to another army, you just find yourself missing a lot about it. So um they are they are my true love in that respect. They're not a side piece uh, like Shadowhammer. They are my true love through and through. Um, <laughs> um and yeah, I just really enjoy playing them. Um, I'm on Twitter as LHWAOS. I feel like it might be uh, Liam's uh, maybe the ex girlfriend where you keep kind of drunk calling them at night. Yeah um more like that than the the side chick um we've also got the sex robot himself a man who uh is every single place that ever on the internet uh it is short shorts dan aos shorts how are you sir good thank you mate i am well so uh not a sex robot just an englishman (laughs) stuck down at the end of the world down in new zealand and you've been playing trees for a while as well haven't you yeah since the first book dropped so I sort of took a break um, from Age of Sigma. Didn't really get on board at the start, um, but Sylvaneth was what pulled me in. And then finally to close us off, which is uh, Chris Welfare. So Chris, everyone on your podcast obviously knows who you are. For the people who are watching on YouTube, who are you? Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, Chris Welfare, um, based in Sydney, um, UK, UK originally. So not quite the bottom of the world, but near, near to Dan. Um, but yeah, I've been playing AOS since the very beginning when it was wounds and no points and everything and jumped on the trees as soon as they came out as well. So, um, they're probably my main army, um, to be honest, but I'm always jumping around projects, but they always pull me back. They've probably had the most changes of anything. So they, yeah, I really love them. They're really cool. Yeah. Great. And they're a fantastic army so much so that I have actually bought a 2000 point Sylvaneth army, but the book is still unwrapped uh, because Cities of Sigmar got announced. But that's why I have these four legends here to talk us through who is Sylvaneth, what has changed between each book uh, and talk through about list building, uh, general tactics, uh, customization advice, tactical genius, 
Uh, I think it's going to be quite a robust conversation that I'm sure whether you're new, whether you're old, whether you are someone who picked up Wood Elves back in the day, someone can take something away from this. So, guys, are you ready to, to start? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to throw the first one to Chris. And the first question is, who are the Sylvaneth? What's the background in AOS? Um, who Who is this faction if I've never seen them other than the models? So the Sylvaneth are the children of Alarial, um, I think is the narrative tagline. Um, they are half of the race, I guess, is formerly the Wood Elves, the kind of the tree folk, the dryads, um, the tree lords and that. And then there's the new half, which I guess has been created for Age of Sigma, which is the Kernoth. So you've got um, Kernoth Hunters, and then you've also got Tree Revenants and Spite Revenants, um, which they brought in, which are kind of half almost elves i guess what kind of would have been wood elves merged with actual tree spirits um so yeah they're they're very much children of the forest um they go through different aspects and seasons just like nature does so you have the winter the cold aspects and then they can bloom and flourish in spring and summer and you have different aspects as well and alarial as their leader very much goes through those aspects and i think right now she's been reborn into her war aspect so she's she's leading her armies at the front and uh, marshalling the, the tree people to war yeah fantastic anyone else got anything to add on that i'm just uh, more amazed that, i'm just more amazed that krishna's narrative so yeah <laughs> he never reads the narrative parts this is amazing <laughs> yeah he's well he's well advised and uh, practiced on it, the interestingly i couldn't find the part in the narrative with the phoenix but yeah <laughs> you have to read between the lines it is there if you search for it it's right there it's a winter, it's a winter, winter, it's in the winter and part, frost heart yeah. see look at that eh? it was together so uh, so easily so laurie while, while we're chatting along what attracted you to the army other than having a frost phoenix into a winter leaf so <laughs> what brought you yeah i'm sure you, your love started well before the the, the phoenix uh, what brought you to silverneth it is um, actually is is I'm I'm not a very good hobbyist like that narrative thing there from Chris um, first time I've heard any of that sounds fascinating um, but um, I so for me I'm not a very good painter uh, there's a chap um, called Aaron Bailey who is a great painter uh, over in the UK and he took it to my first uh, Age of Sigma tournament I went to a little one day uh, down in Weymouth mm -hmm. and I saw his army and it seemed really easy to paint that's the honest truth of it is i looked at it and thought actually i think i think i could do a job with that army which i'd be happy with on the table because you want to you want to have pride in your yeah. and so I, I think the thing about um sylvaneth is that they're an army from a hobbyist point of view which all levels are doable with it you can do something absolutely stunning like a top top level army which which will win awards and obviously lots of them have won awards but there's also one which is really easy to to dry brush really easy to use washes on uh, contrast paints contrast paints seem to be brilliant with them as well so actually it wasn't it wasn't to begin with anything about the play style at all which attracted me to them but just the fact that i thought i could i could do a job with painting those and then once you started playing them then yeah actually i think their play style is pretty unique actually um as i'm sure the other fellas would agree that the way it plays is very different from almost any other army out there um and i really like that you can really spring surprises it puts a lot of power in your hands. Don't know if anyone knows that. Sweet. Anyone else want to add to that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the attraction for me in the army was that that unique ability to move around the board and dictate combat as and when you want it, and spring surprises on opponents and just play mind games with them all day long. Um, it's a sort of defining feature while wanting to pick it up, um, and just. 
one of the things why I love this book so much and keep coming back to it, and to the extent where I pretty much sold all my other AOS armies um, just to buy more trees, um, <laughs> is is because this book, I think, more than any other book in Age of Sigma, has maintained relevance through every single edition of the game. So you've gone from uh, magic heavy, you've gone from movement heavy, you've gone from absolute sort of control winter leaf type lists. Um, you've got a whole range of different options. And as we'll see with the new book, there's still a variety of different ways to play and different ways to play the meta. So always something to come back to in the trees. Yeah, for me, it's just the kind of models that got me super attracted to the army. Like those are the most boss looking elite thing. Like there's Varangard and then there's like Kern of Hunters. And I'm pretty sure Kern of Hunters, in my opinion, was like, bam, like the sexiest looking models. And then I heard that they're really good in the game in AOS 1 with Narut, where there were like 180 points back in the day. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and then that's when I had, I think, 15 or 18 in them in AOS 1. And then that was, like, my go. And Magro looks so disappointed in me. But, <laughs> but, no, I was disappointed um, when you had 110 dryads. That's that's when my uh, my heart sank. That was a great time. I have no idea what you're on about. But, um, yeah, like, I think for me, what attracted me to Army was definitely the models. Like, Durthu looks bowler. And as most, some people already know, they've probably seen my snake Durthu. Like, that model is, like... Just him, him in character and like the way he stands and like his also his war scrolls really good. So it was just like it sold me. And then um the playstyle of like playing mind games and apparently according to Chris, I'm very manipulative in the game, as he would probably tell you from our games like recently. Um, it's a perfect army for me. And I just keep yeah, just perfect. And as also what Dan said, how they always stay relevant within the meta. Um so when the meta changes, Silver Nephew give us like a week or less and we'll figure out a way to like keep up. And I think that's, what's really great about the book. So yeah. Chris, anything you'd want to wrap up with that one? No, I think the guys have summed it up pretty well. Like in terms of the relevant relevance thing, I think they're the army that feels like it's been updated the most, but it actually hasn't, but it's just that they had so many builds in the book, but lots of them weren't viable with the points at that time. So every single year, the main points changes have happened. It's completely unlocked some of the other builds and made them more kind of viable. At the start, it was kind of Nauru, and then it moved on to Dreadwood and Winterleaf, and then Harvest Boon started to come in. And it's kind of over the last three years, there's always been a top tier Sylvaneth build, if not more. Um, and it just, that's why it keeps it interesting. Yeah, I think I think the, the the one reason why I've picked up a two thousand point army is the conversions. It's something that I think, you know, if I think about Sylvaneth and trees, there are trees in every part of the mortal realms. And whether you want to have metallic style ones from um, the realm of metal, whether you want some that are on fire from Shimon, you want, you know, there's so much conversion opportunity. I've seen, you know, death skulls on on some from Shaish, and there's just so much opportunity with this army. I think it's a uh, it's a converter's dream, and I think, you know, you guys have all nailed this one on the head. So, um, Dan, I might throw this one to you. What are some of the strengths of a Sylvaneth Force? So if I was going to buy this army and, and start playing with them, what can I expect as their strong points in the, in the army? Well, AOS 1, we would have said the resilience and um, movement of the army. Now, this is one of the fundamental questions I was hoping that we were going to be able to get into an answer on the show is that what do we look like now? Because you go down and you go, well, are we 
a magic list. Are we strong magic? No, we don't have any two double. We don't have any double casters or massive ways to buff. Um, are we a high movement best list? We've got limits on that. Um, are we a shooting list? Are we a combat list? All of those things have been tweaked and modified with this book. So I think at the moment our strength is sort of adaptability. Um, We've got some strong combat focus, but most many combat armies will rinse us if we're not ready for it. Um, so it's a really interesting place. We've got really a bit of everything in the list. And I've been, since the, um, the electronic version of the book came out and we've all sort of been list building and making <laughs> ideas and, um, for those of us down in a good time zone to have been awake when it um, got released. Um, I think I've written a list with every single army, with every single unit in the army in, like, and not paying a battalion tax or anything like that. It's there's, there's legitimately a role for pretty much every unit in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I am. Um, I think what's really interesting about the new book is you've got the capacity to do anything. You could build yourself. As Dan says, you've got the capacity to do anything, and it's what you do with that. Do you therefore go all in on one area, like um, Dan Spam Bradshaw is doing this twenty-one bow hunter list? Um, <laughs> so that's that's going on one route, um, or do you try <laughs> to create fun. a bit of everything? Yeah, I mean that's his name, Dan Spam Bradshaw. Um, or do you try to create a bit of everything? And that's the problem I've been having with not the problem. That's the dilemma I've been having with all of the lists I write. Is that if you want to do balance, it always feels that you're just lacking it in one area. Like you either give up magic reliably or you give up movement reliably because now that you can only teleport one unit through the woods, actually, if you go really kern off heavy, then you're only teleporting one of them at a time, which actually is going to limit you in terms of your movement. So that's the real dilemma there is that you can do anything. Like you could have a really fast moving army. You could take four tree laws and they could all teleport uh, uh, together. But then you're lacking in other areas, and that's what's quite nice about it. I think is you have got a real tough dilemma there, and what, what route you take. I think our strengths are like we we have great battle line. I can't say like anything negative about a battle line. Like we got survivable dryads with neg one to hit, plus one save, and you put them in cover, and you can be like, "Cool, I wish you all the best of luck." You have tree revs where they can teleport wherever they want whenever they want, which is like, and they back that they got like the restriction like taken out from the old book. Mm. Um, now they are like best buck for your buy. Um, and then you have spite res, which are great to fill in like your minimal battle line thing. Just do three things of spites, put them outcasts. And then like, and they're actually quite good in combat from what mm. I've had against me and also playing with them. Um, so that's one of our strengths is we have actually like, you know how most armies, their battle lines like a huge tax. Like it's a very much like, oh, I have to take it. With Sylvan, if you go cool, my battle line are actually amazing. So I'm more than happy to take all of this. And I think that's a huge strength compared to other armies because I don't think a lot of armies actually have great battle line, except for Grotz. We can, but like we actually do have great battle line options. And yeah, pretty much similar to what Laurie and Dan says, like we don't, we're not great at like one specific thing, but like we can adapt and that's really important. Um, so yeah, like. I think that's our I, huge strength. 
I will pull out something that Laurie said that did, he didn't say. Like he didn't actually specifically call it out. Uh, and he was talking about the teleporting piece. And if I'm a new player, I may not quite understand this piece just yet, but you have high movement um, through some of the abilities through the Wild Woods. So uh, you do get an Allegiance terrain piece, which allows you to have some fast movement, which we'll unpack later in today's show. Um, but for, for some armies that are quite slow, uh, this is not the case for Sylvaneth. And um, you've got some abilities to, to summon uh, new models onto the board. So um, there's, you know, it's almost like the, the, the Stormcast where you've got a whole range of different options. Uh, you can be a utility knife and have a little bit of everything, or you can go deep in uh, one particular build. So I think uh, it is definitely an army. You can see why it stood the test of times, um, just because there's so much flexibility and variety. Um, and it hasn't really been quote unquote nerfed because it's not crazy overpowered, but it's also not horrible. It's a very good army in my opinion. Well, something yeah. that you said, yeah, something that you said, Anthony, about our summoning, like our summoning is actually probably up there as one of the most like strongest because our 80 point wizard can summon a hundred points for free, like a turn. So like turns one to four, because that's all the time you're going to be summoning, you're summoning 400 points for free from an 80 point wizard who's actually who's actually really hard to kill because she's make one a hit and then with our wildwoods also blocking line of sight like that's a huge strength like shooting armies we're like their kryptonite so pretty much i think that's a huge thing for us is like our one summoning mechanic we also got a larial but um point by point the branch rate is like pretty much by the end of the game is worth negative like 320 by the end of it so yeah, like that's probably one other strength that we have. Chris, what about the weaknesses? Is there any particular weaknesses you'd want to call out um, as a Sylvaneth player? Yeah, I mean, the army can feel surprisingly frail if you don't get into the right places. Um, fundamentally, there is no mortal wound protection in the army at all. Um, so you're relying on artifacts. Um, as much as you might have a lot of 12 wound characters and things like that, they can go down surprisingly quickly. Um they hate being one shot. There's lots of regrowth mechanics, which I like because it fits kind of with nature. Um, you can whittle something down and then it, it can come back. But if anything gets one shot by mortal wounds, it can be a real struggle. Um, so you tend to not see particularly high wound count models, um, armies either, unless you're going the kind of dryad spam route. But I feel like that's probably a thing of the past. Um, certainly or people like Liam have got that out of their system now anyway. Um, so if you're not hugging your trees and you get into the wrong position and you're not use utilizing those kind of minuses to hit and things like that on dryads from being near wildwoods and using the line of sight blocking mechanic of the trees to protect your weaker five wound heroes and no mortal wound output you suddenly can find your army getting pulled apart and if you've lost those support pieces that allow you to kind of regrow things and and stuff like that the army can actually feel quite fragile just to jump on top of that, um, completely linked to what Chris is saying, you really fear a double turn because you've got, because you rely so much on healing, like you need a turn to heal. So if you, I've found so many games I've lost is because I've got doubled at the wrong time, um, which was always a problem with the old book because you always took first turn because you need to get your wildwoods up. And that's changed a little bit now, but you still fear that double turn. Even things like Alarial, um, with her 16 wounds, she just dies because uh, she's got nothing redundant, no redundancy after that. So high render mortal wounds um, just does so much. And like linking to, once again to what Chris was saying, <laughs> Dirthu, Tyrion Ancients, they come up against the Terrorgeist doing six more <laughs> wounds in this, and, and 
they just they just die because it just takes two sixes and you just uh, just take off death they will like um because yeah it just dies so easily so double turns and and more wounds so i agree terrible yeah and i know i know um, in the chat they're very keen to learn a bit about the uh you know the current meta especially around some of the striking first kind of mechanics that so we'll talk a bit later about you know how we might be possibly able to deal with uh, some of the strike first or maybe some of the double piling in that we're seeing in some of the stronger builds right now but we'll, we'll talk about that a bit after we build lists um any other yeah. witnesses laurie before we, we move on uh, any of our witnesses um those are the big one um no it's just as i say double turn is what i always read because just the army does just die really easily um you haven't got it's just a lack of any kind of mortal wounds as, as chris said i completely agree with that um unlike other armies there's just no way of making things resilient you start i'm gonna call uh, that go on liam uh one thing we don't like is being deep off neck to hit like any other army but our army we don't actually have anything to give us plus one to hit or anything like that. Um, we do have a lot of stuff that makes us re-roll. Like we have a lot of re-rolls ones yeah. and stuff. Like we have some strong command abilities, um, which does help us be survivable and also hit harder. But um, like if we go up against, let's say a grunt army, which has netters and stuff, we're gonna have a bad day. If that makes sense. Like we're gonna struggle with that. But um, we have, one of our strengths is sometimes, and which is also like a weakness is we have low amount of attacks, but high damage output attacks. For example, Dirthu has five attacks near a tree, but like it's five attacks, but it's threes and threes. You want to get those rerolls kind of thing going on because it's neg to six damage when he's on full health. So it's like a high damage output. But if you get into like Grotz, let's say, and they're like debuffing him, neg one to hit, and he got like itchy nuisance or like any of those other spells that just make him like weaker, then we're having a bad time. Um, but that's but that's all that depends on your placement as well. But like you get better over it but it's since the book's quite new i think we'll in like a year or two we won't even care about that anymore but yeah i, I will call out one weakness that isn't necessarily a part of the book but it's certainly from a, a modeling perspective and that is the the requirement of silver the wildwoods um taking and transporting that uh, as well as the army being traditionally fragile from a transport point of view so um something to consider and i know some guys you probably all have custom carry cases but certainly um, it's a bit more of a fiddly army compared to uh, maybe, let's say, a Stormcast or a Grot army, which is very easy to transport. Is that a fair a fair weakness um, to to call out? Yeah, yeah. There's a reason none of the leaves are glued to any of my trees. They would, <laughs> they would not. They would not survive transport. Um, just speaking of the woods, that is the one other weakness I would say is while it's a major strength in terms of how the army plays in terms of gaining board position, it's also probably our biggest weakness because if somebody denies the use of the wildwood and also the fact that the army, all of the points for the units factor in the buffs that they get really from being near the wildwoods. So if you can't get those wildwoods down or you need to fight somewhere away from them, the army is massively weaker. So you're also telegraphing whereabouts you want to go by the positioning of your wildwoods. So that wildwood, while it is a massive strength, is also quite a big weakness because smart people will play around it and deny it to you. And then your army gets considerably like weaker to use. That's actually a really good transition point. And I'll ask you, Chris, uh, and then maybe move over to, to Dan. Um, so we've obviously transitioned from one book to a new book. So lots have probably changed. And uh, certainly in the old book, there was a reliance on uh, being a one drop, uh, getting out those woods ASAP. Um, with the new book, 
what's some of the changes if I'm a, a current player that I should be factoring in or maybe thinking about differently? Um, you're not going to be a one drop. The sheer matter of fact is, I think <laughs> the low the lowest you probably can physically get is about three, um, but realistically, you're probably around six. Um, most most builds are probably around five or six, depending on battalion choices. Um, so you're coming up against a lot more armies that actually are going to have the choice of whether they want to go first against you, which, as Laurie said, you never really want to face down a double turn as Sylvaneth, so going second might not necessarily be the worst thing, um, but you aren't going to have anywhere near the amount of woods on the table that you probably would have seen um, before. The restriction, the restriction to where you can actually place your starting wood is much more restricted now as well. It can't go within three of... Um, objectives, other models, terrain, and it also has to be outside of your opponent's territory. So that's hugely restrictive compared to the old rules where you could basically put it anywhere more than one away. Um, they fortunately, with the recent FAQ, meant that the woods getting onto the tables in the game only need to be one away from other models and, um, and things like that. But even so, once the game started, I think you'll find it, you won't be getting those woods down on the objectives in the centers. Um, so I think positioning of where those woods will be is a lot more probably around the fringes. Um, so that's probably the big the big change. Um, and I'm sure Dan can kind of cover off the other ones. Dan, over to you. What were uh, what are some of the other changes that Chris just mentioned about, um, about some of the wild woods? But uh, I know we've obviously had a bit of a reframe in regards to some of the battalions now becoming more of like a, a sub-faction, uh, you know. So what are some of the other changes? Yeah, so the, the defining feature of the Sylvaneth book being one of the very first books, if not the first book to come out with this um, type of army building mechanic is that we've gone away from the Wargroves being the whole one drop, being the main advantage of our book over anyone else's book, um, cheap and affordable one drops. So we've now gone to, those predictably have gone towards um faction uh, allegiance abilities depending on what you choose the more groves so we're now left with the with the smaller battalions so we're now in a position where we aren't playing in that space so we're playing like everybody else um realistically we're probably max getting down to a four drop um which is okay sort of toe to toe with many of the other um top lists but i've played probably 10 games or so now since um the new book came out and I've been playing 10 plus drops in each of those and just enjoying dropping out fives of things, waiting for the opponents to drop their, everything. Um, and then playing from there, I try to work on the basis that I'm only ever going to have one or two woods and work from there. So it's a very, very different play style. Yeah, no, agreed. And, and look, it, there's a lot of familiarity between the old book and the new book, but certainly there are new ways to play. And I think uh, for, for people like you guys who are uh, OG Sylvaneth players, it allows you to, to keep having fun and doing different things, but also having that familiar, familiarity. Um, Laurie, let's talk about swearing allegiance to Sylvaneth. So when I swear my allegiance to Sylvaneth compared to maybe going Grand Alliance uh, Order or maybe a free city, uh, what are those benefits that I get by being Sylvaneth? Um, so... I think I'll, I mean, the Wargroves are one of the big ones. You get to pick these Wargroves now, which used to be the big battalions. Uh, is it worth saving, talking about those later? If I talk about the, the general abilities you get from being Sylvaneth, first of all, you do get those Wildwoods. And the Wildwoods, whilst they have been nerfed quite a bit, um, 
the ability to teleport anywhere on the board is something which at any point in the game, which is something which other factions lack. Like that is a quite a powerful ability. Yes, it's limited. But um, one boost we have had in the new book is that now all of our wizards know the spell to summon up Wildwoods, which is a massive change. You used to have to put the spell on one wizard and if that wizard died, then you were basically looking at the board going, well, I can't get any more Wildwoods up uh, because, because she's dead. And now that all of your wizards know it, you could have yourself in a situation, uh, turn five, you've got your uh, Trilon Ancient in the middle of the board or your Alarial, and she can summon up a Wildwood next to or near an objective. You can then teleport through the Wildwoods to that objective and take the objective and get the game. Um, so that's a really nice change, actually, that now you, you have actually got the ability to, for any wizard to summon a wildwood up um and that's that's why i mean like uh, that question of mixed alliance mixed allegiance versus uh, an individual one all armies have that but for sylvan if it's a really clear answer you get wildwoods you get wildwoods and that gives you so much power and as we've just said everything revolves around them like dirth with three attacks is not very good dirth with five attacks is better um still a bit swingy but better um and that goes for so many things in the book as we say that they do just rely on the woods to make them better um and it is the potential to be one of the most powerful uh, alliance abilities in the game if you can get them down in the right place that i would say their artifacts and items are also incredible for yeah. how the army works they're probably one of the books where you generally even if you're taking two battalions so you have a choice of three artifacts all of them are probably coming from the book and you're not taking malign sorcery artifacts which i think is quite rare even even now with how many books there are you're still often the malign sorcery ones are just better but there's such a big range for sylvaneth and they're really good for what you need in particular there's one of them that we'll talk about when you get to it um on the artifacts but it's it's probably one of the best items in terms of how reliable it can make things out of any item i've seen in any book it's just incredible when you read it um so you're always going to be taking that um so yeah i think i think that's one of the things you would never want to give up sylvaneth allegiance for if you were taking mostly sylvaneth anyway and correct me if i'm wrong you also can put units in reserve uh as a part of the allegiance is that correct yeah so that there's it's similar to like Nighthorn and Stormcast when they first came up for AOS 2. It's one unit in, one unit down, if that makes sense. So before you can drop anything in the Wildwood, you actually have to place a unit down. Um, and then it has to be like 50%, no more than 50% of your army. Um, which is I'm like to be honest, I, I think it for us now with the putting stuff in the woods now, I think in this book you want to, because of the restriction of only moving one unit to another wildwood because last time like in the last book we could just deploy a whole army right and then we'd be like okay cool now this is our actual deployment and then we put everything down like that was our like turn one movement is actually our deployment so this here is actually like you'll start seeing a lot more people putting stuff down in the spirits because of our restriction on where like how many we can teleport through so yeah that's a really strong ability that we have yeah, love um, it. One other thing as well, we've got place of power, which is like we picked a terrain piece and we get Battleshock immunity. Is that right? Yeah. But do we all we all forget yeah. about it? Yeah. Yeah. No. Cool. <laughs> God, keep them forgetting. Keep them forgetting. It's, um, it's been crucial <laughs> because I've been running large blocks of spites, so um, it's been very handy. <clears throat> okay, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, since we all know, but for people who are watching or listening. 
Um, you pick one terrain feature. Um, Sylvaneth units wholly within six inches of that terrain feature don't have to take battle shock. So um, that was like a nice little thing GW gave us, which I don't think any of us asked for, yeah. but they gave it to us and we're like, cool, we'll take it. <laughs> like, we're not going to say no. And I you, don't know you... that. Go low, go. Sorry, yeah, you can pick your, uh, the ward would you put down before the battle begins, you can pick, or you can pick any other terrain piece, you just can't pick your opponent's terrain piece, uh, is the only exception to it, basically. So you can pick yeah. a skull altar or something like that. But that does give a lot of flexibility, and if you can get one of your terrain pieces, sorry, if you can get your wardwood near a key objective, then you can you can do it quite nicely there. It's got It's a really, really quite a powerful one, considering we do have low battle shock. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say the fact, the fact that actually you pick any terrain feature other than your opponent's one is actually really good given that your first wood can't go near objectives because if there's a big terrain piece that's on an objective already, you can just pick that. It doesn't actually have to be your wild wood, which is really nice. So you get you get a whole bunch of rules, which is great. Uh, you've got your new uh, awakened wildwood, and certainly Games Workshop also came out to say that you can use the old uh, the old citadel woods still, which is great. So you don't have to throw I mean, those away. Uh, you know, I know some people were a bit concerned, but no, uh, there's obviously some advantages and disadvantages between using the old woods versus the new. But nonetheless, uh, you do have terrain piece, which is wonderful. Um, You've also, also got endless, endless spells. spells. Yep. Yeah. So you've got uh, a couple of endless spells, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, you do have some allegiance-based uh, endless spells, which is awesome. Uh, and then it come down into obviously those groves, which are um, which used to be. Correct me if I'm wrong. They were battalions, um, and now they've become. Um, uh, uh, I guess like your daughters of Cain have Hagnar. You know, Stormcast have chambers. You guys now have this sub allegiance within uh, to to make it more narrative and more. Uh, more customized towards a Sylvaneth force. Well, Laurie's laughing. I think it's narrative because I've built a, <laughs> I've built uh, my own heartwood, which is very narrative. But uh, some people are are, are laughing. Um, so when it comes to list building, guys, um, maybe quick round robin. Um, I'll go to Dan first. When it comes to list building, are you starting at the groves or are you starting at like a hero choice? Where are you? Where are you? Where's your head at? Groves. Chris? Just everything everything rolls around it. Chris, similar? Yeah, probably Grove, then build around. Laurie? Oh, yeah, Groves, yeah. Liam? All I care about is if Durf is in it. That's all I all care right, about. All right, so we're starting, we're starting, and I wanted to call this out because, you know, if I'm looking at this book thinking, how do I build a Sylvaneth Force? Do I start with Alarial? Do I start with, you know, Kurnoths? What do I start? It sounds to me that we're starting at the Groves. Why do we start at the Groves, Liam? Um, cause pretty much that's a whole different set of rules for you. Like no grove is the same. So, um, I don't know if you want to go all in detail with all what the groves do, but pretty Let's much like you have your, okay, we're doing it. Okay, cool. So we're going to start off with the one that I got selected, for example, to be talking about, like Heartwood, for example. So let's let's pause so for a second. So before we get to that point, you've got a whole bunch of groves. You've got uh, Oakenbrow, yeah. you've got Root, you've got Heartwood, you've got Ironbark, you've got Winterleaf, you've got Dreadwood, you've got Harvestboon. So these are different ways that you can construct your Sylvaneth Force. Now Liam's going to talk about... Choices. Yes, there's heaps Heartwood. of choices, which is great. So pretty much exactly like your Stormcast Chambers and your Temples from Hagnar, not Hagnar, well, Doors of Cain. It's just they all sound the same. Um, but we get given an ability that the whole army has, a command ability that your heroes now know, a command trait that you have to take, and an artifact that you have to take. 
So that's what the groves give us. So pretty much like if you want to take this, you get a really cool rule, but then there's like a tax to it. But the great thing about this book is there isn't really much of a tax with any of our artifacts or traits. Like you're happy to take them. So for example, Heartwood, we get to add one to Bravery Courage to go friendly Heartwood units that are wholly within 12 inches of Enly Heartwood heroes. So even though we have terrible bravery, it's really good to like buff up your bravery pretty much. Um, the command ability, which I learned how to use properly the other day, um, you pick one enemy unit wholly within within 12 inches of a friendly Heartwood hero. So not wholly within, just within 12. Um, so Colonel Hunters can't actually use this through them. It has to be a Heartwood hero. Um, until the end of that phase, you can reroll hit rolls and wound rolls of one against that enemy unit. So Heartwood, all Heartwood units get to reroll hit rolls and wound rolls of one. So if you really need to kill that Keeper of Secrets, you can just pick it and then shoot everything at, like, put everything into it, and they all get reroll of hit rolls and wound rolls of one. Um, the command trait is um, once this general slain, uh, you pick one enemy unit within one inch of it, so pretty much to probably the unit that killed your general. Um, on a two to five, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. On a six, it's D6. On a one, nothing happens. And then you remove your model. And then the artifact, which is amazing, um, it's pretty much called Horn of the Consort. Uh, you can reroll hit rolls for attacks made by friendly Heartwood Colonel Hunters wholly within 12 inches of this of the bearer. So this is when we start hearing about 21 bows or Kronov spam. So yeah, so that's one um, grove that we get and every single grove has different rules and there's a tax or something towards it. So do we like Heartwood? Is that a, a, a potentially good build uh, within Sylvaneth? It's my play style. Like after playing it, after you guys said like Liam do um, Heartwood, cause I was mainly look at Harvest Boon and stuff in Winterleaf. I looked at this now and I was like, this is way more my play style. Uh, spamming units is definitely my jam, as we all know in my past history. Um, so this is really, I reckon this is actually quite strong. Um, the list build that I brought isn't 21 bows, but it's actually a mixture of combat and shooting. Um, and with Colonel Hunters being a great unit, like a great elite unit, you can do some really cool stuff with it and still have bodies on the board because of summoning from branch raves and stuff. And most importantly, I get my Durthu. So yeah, it's really good. I... I actually reckon Heartwood's definitely up there as like one that can go five and zero, or mostly four and one, which is really good. So yeah, yeah, love it. So yeah. and, and and what's uh, what's a tr uh, well, actually we'll get to this later. So we've got Heartwood, we like it, uh, we think it's good. Um, Laurie, which one which one do you want to talk about? Um, if I talk about um, Winterleaf, um, Winterleaf is obviously what I what I used to uh, take um, back with my Frostheart Phoenix. Uh, his playstyles changed quite a lot now. Actually, I, I think Winterleaf will be the most commonly selected one personally. Um, so Winterleaf, uh, first of all, gives the entire army a six split. So for each six you roll to hit, you do two wound rolls, which is phenomenal. Uh, it's what uh, Smeshka, um, it, uh, apparently maths wise, it works out as plus one to hit basically. Uh, statistically, so if you just imagine whenever you look at any unit uh, in your army, if you just imagine it with plus one to hit, that's amazing. And that's everything across the board, anything you summon, it's a really, really powerful ability um, and just changes the entire way in which you look at your army. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, alongside the other kind of key parts of Winterleaf, um, the other massive thing about Winterleaf is you get your artifact is called Frozen Kernel or something like that. Um, and it means that you can pile in twice. 
so you uh, it's only usable once per game because uh, we're not a broken army like feck um so <laughs> <laughs> uh, we pick one unit you pick one unit at the beginning of the combat phase at the beginning of the combat phase and it piles in twice um and because of the corn faq that's an immediate piling um it's been clarified that that is immediately back to back so that's again really powerful so you can imagine a unit of uh, six kind of hunters with sides with their sixes splitting so they're doing two two hits for every six uh, to hit uh, piling in twice there's not a lot in the game which is going to survive that. Uh, maybe a massive block of fire slayers, but pretty much everything else in the game you imagine will, will die to, to that unit piling in twice. Particularly when you think you can do little piling shenanigans on that second one to try to get, get further forward with a two-inch range. Uh, and so that's why I think Winterleaf will be really powerful, is that that combo there means you can just take out anything you want, basically. Um, alongside that, um, those, th that's like the headline, what I'd say about Winterleaf, is the headline of those two, those two things there. You do have a command trait where you can, uh, for a command point, you you uh, or command ability rather you can pick uh, a, a unit um within what is it, within 18 or within 12 um within 12 so within 12 of a hero um and you roll a dice for every model in that enemy unit and on a six they take a mortal wound so that's all right um and then you've also got the command trait is that your general every time they take a wound on a five up uh, they do a wound back to the person who a mortal wound back to the person who did the wound to them which is all right as well i guess um uh, but not not nothing to, to uh, write home about really. As I say, the, the taglines for um, for Winterleaf is that six is splitting, combining with the double piling. Um, so I think that's what a lot of Winterleaf will revolve around. And that splitting only happens in the combat phase, right? Or is only it melee, right? Phase. Yeah, only yeah. only melee, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, so it is. I think that's the nature of that is that you'll build a very melee focused army if you go Winterleaf. Not very, but you, you that'll have a large part of what you're doing there. Um, will be melee focused in Winterleaf, um, and I think that's the in Winterleaf your dilemma is how you best take advantage of that. Are you looking at your double piling being on these kind of hunters? Are you looking at it being on Durthu? How do you protect that double piling as well as part of it? Because it is an artifact. So if you put it on a branch wraith or an arc revenant, then actually they can kill that arc revenant and then you don't get the double pile in. So there's a there's an interesting, it's a really powerful ability, but because it's not inbuilt in the army, the double pile in is an artifact, you do have to think about how you're doing it. I mean, you might want to put it on a Zerthu, and even though it doesn't buff his attacks in any way, you just know you've got a bit more protection um, of the artifact by doing it that way. Um, so Winterleaf, I think, is is in terms of pure combat punch, is is potentially the top one out there. Um, and I do like with the artifact that, that you have got flexibility on what you use it on because you can i've in the past have put alarial into a unit of um it was actually some thralls and some eels and i just had to had to win that combat basically i had to do as much damage to both of these units, units as i could so at the beginning of the game i never planned on doing a double part on, on alarial i always thought i was going to do all my kind of hunters of science but i saw right, this is actually this is a key combat here so I, I used it then instead and that's quite a nice thing that actually you could even use it to piling six inches of a big block of dryers, piling twice them twice, like swinging around the corner of someone using your piling. It's nice that it's got that flexibility that you can choose what unit to use on. Awesome. Uh, Dan, what was the, what's the one that you want to talk about? Cool. Uh, well, mine is Harvest Boon, which to read from the book is a young and vital blade filled with <laughs> hope and determination. So that was clearly the one I was going to pick. Um, <laughs> no, um, I picked this for the sole troll of being able to run a Durthu with eight attacks. Um, so this is the ultimate flat track bully 
glade. This is the glade that against any serious opponent will just get taken to pieces. But against any mid-table list, you're going to just hit them with an eight-attack Durthu and hurt them. Um, so how do we get there? Um, the main thing, the ability across the Wargrove is that you can re-roll hit rolls of one for attacks made by friendly Harvestburn units when you've made a charge move in the same turn. Um, so charge across the board, powered by a Spike Swarm's Hive or something similar, um, and get re-roll ones to hit. For the command trait, um, actually we'll go to the command ability. So the command ability is Fertile Ground, so this is one similar to others that are available. So you pick one friendly Harvest Moon unit within 12 inches of a friendly hero, and until the end of that phase you can add one to the attacks characteristic of that unit's melee weapons. That's all of the melee weapons, you're not picking one, um, so you get one across the entire profile, which is very helpful. You can't um, double stack that on the same unit. You could stack that on several different units or apply it to several different units, but you can't apply it multiple times to the same one. Um, the artifact of power is the silent sickle. So you pick one of the bearers, bearers melee weapons and add one to the attacks characteristic of that weapon. So you can see where the attack stacking, um, stacking comes in. So you've got Durthu with three attacks to start. You put him within range of a Wildwood, you get another two attacks, so that's five attacks. You give him the Artifact, so that's six attacks. You give him this command ability, gives him seven attacks, and then if you were to use the Archweb as well, you'd have eight attacks. So that's how you get an eight attack Durthu um, at full strength, destroying basically whatever he wants to hit. Um, the command trait is very useful as well, um, because Durthu is going to be your general. Um, this is, is an amazing command trait. I absolutely love it for the trolling potential. Um, so each time this general attacks with its melee weapons, it can make a six inch move after all of its attacks have been resolved. If you do so, you must finish the move more than three inches away. So the thing here is you can go in with Durthu, you can hit your opponent, and you can then move straight out of combat so you don't have to worry about getting hit back. Because one of the concerns with Durthu is survivability, is if you're not taking attacks on or not taking an artifact which is going to improve that survivability, then he can go down quite quickly. Um, and of course, as he regresses on his attacks profile, then the amount of damage his Guardian Sword does dramatically decreases. So anything that you can do to protect him is um, beneficial, and this is amazing. As long as you make sure that you're not um, going to get wrapped around by your opponent, so if your opponent is likely to charge you, you're shielding Durthu on one side or on both sides with some chaff units so they can't get in and around behind Durthu. So Durthu can then escape out the back when he needs to or escape around the corner onto an objective. Um, it's amazing. I love the command trait. It's also, sorry, just to add to that, Dan, um, it's worth noting that the way in which it's worded, anything which fights when it dies, you've already moved. Because you, you yep. do it on your resolved attacks, it's worth noting with Feck uh, and with Death Frenzy, uh, you move before they die so they don't get to attack you, which is amazing. Yeah. No, it's, it's baller. <laughs> baller. Yeah. Fact. Um, it is really, really good. It is fun. I... Um, I always found interesting with Harvest Boon in the first book, it actually was the fastest battalion because he gave us so much like plus one to charges and stuff. And I find it odd that like they didn't go that way with this one. They went for this one. They kind of did it very combat heavy. So I thought it was very interesting 
that most of the other war groves they kept it to like what its original theme was but i think they knew that harvest bin was just way too fast but they just said let's make this one the most like hit like a truck on charge so yeah yeah i thought that was always very interesting it also puts you in an interesting perspective an interesting position if you're running kernos heavy because how often do we normally like traditionally the way you played kernos was you push them forward and you wait for your opponents to charge you and you've got all the re-rolls in the world for your saves um you put them in a, in a key terrain piece and you go fine you're not going to do any damage to me whatsoever now yeah. you're really going to be pushing your kernos forward and if you're encouraged to charge well if you make a bad decision and you go into the wrong combat then you might yeah. find that you're actually starting to lose those kernos um, yeah Chris, yeah. Which uh, which which grove are you going to take us through? I'm going to talk about Nalroot, um, which is funny because Nalroot was the one that everyone took at the start, and I didn't take because everyone else took it, and now no one's taking it out, so I'm taking it. So it's funny. It's come full circle. Um, but yeah, they are the most isolated and mysterious of the Sylvaneth, apparently. Um, but they are the Nalroot basically has always revolved around the magic users of um sylvaneth so most of the buffs um are for the wizards or with the new naru actually it doesn't have to be for the wizards but it, they kind of emanate from wizards so the ability that the whole army gets is um you get to re-roll hit rolls of one for sylvaneth units that are wholly within 12 of a sylvaneth wizard so that's amazing because it's not combat only it also applies to your shooting so you can kind of, if you don't want to go for Heartwood and that whole bow hunter spam rerolling all your hits, you can get kind of a mini one and have some bows and still get reroll ones to hit on the shooting. Um, the Durthu will also, like Spirit of Durthu shooting attack can benefit off that if you've got a friendly wizard within range of him. Um, the same for like Dreitcher is a friendly wizard, so she always gets that on her attack. So suddenly she becomes really, really good at 20 shots, rerolling ones to hit um all the time so she can be really good it can make a larial spear that bit more reliable as well um tree lord ancient staffs aren't that bad they're d6 damage range 18 they're all wizards built in so um yeah the reroll ones to hit can be really good um across the whole army and it's shooting and combat so i quite like that uh the command ability does give you a tiny bit of mortal wound protection which we said the army lacks um so it's at the start of the combat phase only though but you can pick a friendly Sylvaneth unit holier than 12 um, of a hero, and then you get to get a six up mortal wound save, basically. Six up after damage save. Anyway, so it's against all damage and mortal wounds. Um, and then the command trait that you have to take is really useful. Um, so it's nurtured by magic. And basically once in each of your hero phases, if the bearer successfully casts a spell, so it can't be unbound, but um, once they've successfully cast a spell, you can pick... A friendly sylvaneth unit so it doesn't have to be the bearer um wholly within 18 and they heal d3 wounds so that helps just kind of top them up um and then the artifact that you have to take is chalice of nectar and this is really good so it's once um when you're making a casting or unbinding roll which i actually missed in my first few games it works on your unbinds as well which is amazing um you get to roll 3d6 and then pick one of the dice of your choice to remove and then use the remaining two as the result so letting you roll 3d6 on anything and using the two highest for casting and unbinding starts to make your magic and quite importantly sometimes your unbinding like a lot more reliable um so it's really good 
I think it's really cool. There's nothing there that I find as attacks in that one. I think everything is useful. So that's great. That's so nice. again, another good another good grove. Yep. So we've got a couple of other groves that we haven't spoken about with which is the Oakenbrow, the uh Ironbark, and the Dreadwood. Um, general field, do we like it? Any call outs from this? Um, or are they all kind of because because right now I've heard four of the four all four of the ones we've spoken about so far are quite good. It's it's not like a bad growth. Um are are these ones bad or uh are they just not as good as the four ones we've mentioned? I am um, Laurie, go Laurie. Um I think Dreadwood has a potential. Um uh, I think there's something there. Um, Dreadwoods, uh, I'm not going to go into detail of it, but the one thing which stands out for Dreadwoods is that you can uh, give a teleport to any unit within 18 of a, of a hero uh, than anywhere on the board outside of um, And so that, there's two ways which I can see that being really useful. First of all, Colonel Hunters always count as within range for heroes. So you could pick up a unit of Colonel Hunters, chuck them across the board, and they can still get the Arc Revenant's plus one uh, attack. They can still get a uh, re-rolling one's um, command ability that is in the new rule book, a uh, new General's Handbook. So they can be a real force by themselves, and you can just put them wherever you want on the board. That's one way I think it could work. The other way I think it could work is doing just the old-fashioned thing of taking a unit of 30 triads, picking them up and just stringing them in front of your opponent's army and just going, right, so your first turn, particularly if you're on foot, your opponent's on foot, your first turn, you're going to have to come through 30 dryads um, whilst the rest of my army just gets into position behind you. So dread, the problem Dreadwood is it's massively CP heavy, command point heavy. Yeah. Like if you're doing that every yeah. single turn, you're spending a command point every single turn doing that. And that's why I think it probably won't get taken as much. But I do think you could build an army around that. You could build somewhere doing it. And there's some real tricks there. Well, what you could do with Dreadwood is like do his battalions and buy a command point. So like do outcasts and then let's say like uh, free spirits or something where you're going to have units in there and then you've got yourself two CP from battalions and then you've got a command point. So that's three CP. Then you've got four command points from the study turn. So like you've got four command points and you're spending one or two for your first turn for placement. Is that right? Yeah. And then like, you also got hitting on war grows, which saves you things. So I reckon that actually could be a really cool thing if you want to do deployment shenanigans or just be a pain in the ass to your opponent, which sounds like Laurie wants to do with 30 dryads. But um, yeah, like that, there's there's something there for sure. I think it's also yeah. what's really cool about it is when the teleport happens means that you could summon things up with a branch wraith and then teleport them. So like an end game that could be brilliant. You someone that you've you've mm. got your uh, ass handed to you. You're really on the back foot, but they've moved off something in the back of the board. You summon up to ten drives, pick up ten drives, charge them over there, win. Um, so yeah, I think that's that. There is tricks. Dreadwood is a very tricky one. I think. What are you going to say, Dan? Uh, yeah, Dan, going to say oh. something. Oh, I was just going to say that the other candidate for other than thirty drives is uh, nine sword hunters. Um, <laughs> As um, one of the guys at our local club had quite fun just chucking nine sword hunters in someone's face. Um, go there, deal with that. <laughs> um, that is gross. <laughs> it's gross. Um, one other Wargrove, uh, Ironbark, is actually a really interesting one because it's the only one that actually has allies outside our usual allies. Um, because if you run Ironbark Allegiance, you're allowed to have Fire Slayers or Caradron Overlords as allies. So if you miss, if you want thirty Hearthguard Berserkers, go for gold. So thirty Dryads and thirty Hearthguard Berserkers. I wish you guys all the best of luck. 
But um, yeah, that's something that else you can like do with Ironbark. Um, and then I know Chris wrote a really interesting Oaken Brow list with trees, didn't you? With big tree lords. Uh, I think you could. I I don't think you'll see it very often. If you might see it once, to be honest. Um, it just can keep your tree lords more reliable Survival. i guess but generally there's probably other more reliable combat output options for the points in terms of colonel hunters versus a tree lord i'd probably always look to take three colonel hunters over a 200 point tree lord as much as the 200 points is quite nice they dropped um the oaken brow basically is all about the tree lords kind of in subtracting two i think from their wounds count when you refer to their damage table um yeah. and the general gets plus one wound so, um, and then you've got the, the artifact, which is the Dawn Fluff, that allows you to have that six up uh, wound or mortal wound save as well. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. there's there's builds, um, but oddly, the main thing I think you'd want if you wanted to have a multiple Tree Lord build would almost be no grove. There's one of the traits that allows you to kind of have a, a bubble of healing, um, which is probably what you'd want to do, but you can't take that if you take that grove. So they, it's kind of a bit counterintuitive, which is why I don't think you'll see it particularly often. So if we yeah. if we were going to pick one of our favorite uh, groves right now, is it the one that you guys spoke about? Or like what's the current hotness uh, within the Sylvaneth community or you feel like is the, the hotness? Liam? Uh, pretty much we kind of mentioned it. when Everyone goes to Winterleaf because getting two attacks on sixes is pretty much plus one a hit. But for me, the one when I first looked at the book was Harvest Boon because it stacks with the um, Arch Revenant command ability. But then after my game the other day with Heartwood, um, Heartwood's my jam. So to me, Heartwood is my hotness, but I think for the overall community, I think it's probably Winterleaf. And, so, and yeah. just putting it out there that I started with Heartwood, so you're copying me. <laughs> just, Whatever. Just, just saying. Whatever. Um, Guys, do you, uh, Laurie, do you do you agree, disagree? Do you think um, those are kind of the stronger groves right now? Yeah, I agree. Winterleaf is is probably going to be the go-to for a lot of people. Um, I'm dabbling in a lot of them. I want to try as many as I can. Currently, the list I've got, which I'm going to run this Wednesday, is um is a harvest boon list actually. But this last couple of weeks, I've been playing Nile Root, um, so I've been just seeing which one takes my fancy before I put put down my roots, so to speak. I love it. Or as I say on my sign, get rooted. Um, <laughs> have we finished with groves and do we want to start building lists or is there anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up this, uh, this chapter? Um, no groves is a thing. Just want to clarify that. Like we have amazing command traits. Like my all time favorite actually got a buff um, war singer. Yeah. So, I, so if anyone remembers our first video, me and Chris talked about war singer being an amazing trait. But it gives you add two to charge rolls for friendly Sylvanet units wholly within 12 inches of your general. So generally your general is going to be your Durthu, right? Let's let's say it's Durthu because he's amazing. Also, Tree Lords get to some like get to teleport for free into a Wildwood. So you can have like, let's say, six Cone of Hunters of size under the forest, lift them up. Then you can teleport Durthu to follow wherever they are. And then you got plus two to your charge. And this also stacks with cogs or the endless spell. So you can get up to like plus seven to charge almost. And then you go, cool, I'm in. And it's also, even if you don't do all those stacks and stuff, it's a seven inch charge re-rolling because let's be honest, we all got command points to re-roll to make sure we get that charge. So there is, so if you don't want to go Grove, 
there is definitely things there. And also the fact that they've given us wizard only traits, I think is really nice. Like they know that people are going to make tree Lord ancients their thing. So it's definitely a thing there as well. So um, don't be locked in to doing what grows. Like you can experiment with our stuff. And I think everything here I'm seeing here is actually really good. So awesome. and there's a place for it. And, and we will, yeah. after we build lists, we will go through some of the, the artifacts, the command traits uh, that could be good, uh, especially if you're not taking uh, a Wargrove. So uh, stick around. Let's not ruin Christmas for anyone, but let's build that <laughs> list first and then modify it and customize it. So uh, we have a whole bunch of unit choices, a whole bunch of leader choices. Is it a fair to assume that we start our list building process with our heroes or are you guys more at the battle line kind of phase? Dan? Where do you start? Uh, I go, I go with the Grove, and then I will normally pick my battle line choices, um, or it's not just battle line choices. Or I'll be thinking, what are the three main threats that I want in my army? So, what are the three main pieces that I'm going to play with? So, is it going to be? Um, 20 spike revenants? Is it going to be Dreitcher? Is it going to be Durthu? Is it going to be? Um, six Colonel Hunters with sides. And I go, right, well, those are the those are the three main pieces that I want to put into the army, and then I'm going to build around that. So what else do I need? Do I need chaff? Do I need um, support casters? Do I need um, resilience buff pieces, etc.? And uh, yeah. I don't know. Laurie, are you, where are you at with your, your so list building? What I do is I, I think I start with a concept. I wouldn't say I start with it with, with um, any kind of model or anything like that. I kind of, what do I want to do uh, in this list? Um, do I want to, like, if you start around Dryka in um, Naru, then she's really good at doing precise mortal wounds because her six of doing mortal wounds is unmodified. So I might take that and go, okay, how can I buff that? Or actually, what about Quicksilver Swords? If I put Quicksilver Swords in there, I might combine it with uh, Chris's favorite thing, which is the Branch Witch Bomb, um, doing that through portals. Um, and so that that might be one concept. Or I might think, right, if I do an Arc Revenant with the Harvest Boon attacks, as uh, Dan was saying earlier on, I do a game Dirty on attack. So I think I start with a concept and then think, all right, what's the best way of fulfilling that basically so i'll be looking through scrolls and stuff and just thinking oh actually that would work really well with this um so how do i make best make that work um and then you go from there basically um is, is my always always my approach all right so in the spirit of of moving this video forward i'm just going to pick where we're going to start and that is going to be battle line i was trying to be political but you guys are <laughs> uh making it hard but i think that's re that that is reflective of uh, that there is no one particular way to build Sylvaneth. There are so many different ways. There's so much great synergy both at the war growth, but also within the heroes and the spells. There's just lots of great stuff. And I think the call out from Dan around the concept uh, is great. I know for myself, I have a very Kurnoth heavy and it's not because I like cheese. It's because I have this idea that my army is based around Autumn. It's based around actually Orion. Um, and I'm customizing my own army around this I Orion concept. Um, and I'm going down that route. So anyway, I'm going to choose battle line. Let's start with our battle line choices. You have three battle line choices if you've sworn allegiance to Sylvaneth, which is your Dryads, your Sprite Revs, and your Tree Revs. So I'm going to throw the first one over to Chris. Chris, out of those three choices, which one do you want to start us off with uh, and why? Uh, Spite Revs, because they're in every single list I write. 
because the first thing I do in any list is take three units of five of them and an outcast battalion, and then I'm done with my with my battle line, and I've already got in a battalion, so I've got an extra artifact, um, which I think's great. It's 280 points for battle line, three units, and a CP and an artifact. It's it's amazing for me. It's auto take. Literally, the first thing I do in any list I write is add that. They might as well just add it to auto build on scroll builder when I write list. Um, but yes, they also can be massively underrated just in terms of their actual damage output if you can get them into something. Um, five of them, it's only 60 points, so they're very cheap now. They're 200 for a unit of 20 now. They get a horde discount. So actually, they're point for point the same as Dryads in 20s, which I think is kind of amazing. Um, they're three attacks each, threes and threes, um, and the champion gets an extra attack. So five of them is putting out 16 attacks. And there's loads of groves, as we said, or just the generic command trait that's uh, now to get command abilities to get reroll ones to hit. Um, if they're around Dreitcher or I think Dreadwood, you can get reroll ones to wound. So quite reliably, like you'll do a fair, you'll probably get about 12 wounds through from five spites um, against a, and then into a four up armor save, you're kind of doing six damage into a four up armor save from five spites for 60 points is. Really, really, really good. Um, Liam's experienced the Terrorgeist dying to five with five wins left. <laughs> so uh, I'm that is still scars me to this day. Um, so yeah, I, I think spites are amazing, and I've moved from dryads more towards spites now. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually that they were my battle line choice that I I built. Um, uh, Liam, have you uh, had any experience with the with these guys or uh, any other so, thoughts that? Uh, my favorite OG unit is still awesome. Tree revs. I am trying to slot them in every time I'm writing a list. I'm like, I need to add in five or 10 tree revs just because I know how heartbreaking it is to your opponent where they left an objective. And just for the hell of it, I can teleport a unit of five onto the objective and I don't even have to roll a dice for it. I just get it. Um, and, th and that's for an ability called the way pipes. Yeah. The way pipes, they sing a song and then they disappear and then they reappear. And it's really good. Um, there's some units in the game where you pretty much they get that kind of they got a similar ability, but they're off the table for a turn, like chameleon skinks and stuff. So this the fact that I get to do it immediately is great. Um, I know that Anthony, when we first started playing together, you got fed up with dry uh tree revs, and I'm sure a lot of other people are fed up with tree revs just doing that last minute objective grabbing, so they're still like amazing. Um it's interesting though, because in our first video, we talked about how dryads are on every single on all our lists. They're still in our list, but they're via branch rave. If that makes sense, like they're still like a battle line choice, but they're coming from the branch rave. So yeah, so when I'm writing lists, I always add in tree at least one unit of tree revs, and not as many dryads. Quick question yeah. for yourself, Liam, and then we'll kind of go back to Chris for a second. When you're building out your uh, your tree revs, are you taking multiple small units? Are you taking big blocks of them? Uh, what does that combination look like for, for, for the tree revs? So at the moment, I'm a very, as we all know, when I write lists, I'm very minimal and then maxing out stuff. Like we've seen it with my feck and my daughters, like that's how I play and how I write lists. So for me, I actually do one unit of tree revs and I aim for 10. They have a six inch pylon and you want all of them in combat um, because they actually are quite good in combat. Um, it might surprise you. They're great to snipe out little characters that are left alone. Um, especially, let's say, like a necromancer that's behind some skellies 
just come behind, kill it, and then you're good to go. So um, yeah, like that's that's pretty much it, really. It's just like either, but like if you can't do ten, five is perfect enough just to be a last minute objective grabber. Um, like I am literally writing lists and making sure that they're in there because I know that ability could win me the game like nine out of ten times. So yeah. when you're when you're uh, using the the waypipes and you're teleporting. When it comes on the board and you, I guess you're threatening an objective, is that count as a setup or is that count as a move for the purpose of grabbing an objective? I think it's pretty much a setup. It's a race. It's a redeploy. It's, it's, it's sim- yeah. So it's one of the things where if an objective such as duality or death, you have to move on to it, they're not going to get it. If that makes but, sense. But, so, but 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 it's also a way to challenge an objective as well, or set up for a, a, a I guess a next turn, you know, teleport and then go for a weak uh, weak objective. I yeah, yeah, I yeah, go Laurie. What are you going to say? So just very quickly, it's because it's worth noting that they get to reroll one dice per phase. It's worth mentioning yeah. that in combination with it. Um, so they get to that charge. They can teleport anywhere on the board and then make that charge. They reroll one of the dice. I spent about 20 minutes trying to work out what the odds were of making a nine-inch charge when you reroll one dice. I couldn't do it. But uh, I think it's quite good, um, basically. Yeah. Um, They've actually yeah. changed that slightly, Laurie. You reroll the charge roll. It's not just one die. So you re-roll yeah, that's the charge. Usually the wording a, of it, but it's the whole roll Yeah, now. you reroll the charge roll, which is two dice for a charge roll. So you reroll both dice. Okay. Still good. Um, Thing for me with tree revs, you never use them really turn one or two. You use them turn three and onwards. Like you don't, you don't show your cards. Like it's pretty much like poker. You don't show like tell you like what your cards are like early on. You bluff and you just pretty much then like near the end go cool. Here's my royal flush and then you win your game by that. So yeah. To the extent that you're using them in the first two turns, it's protecting your your backboard edges, your back corners yeah. from teleporters people coming on beastmen whatever weird shit comes on from behind you um, yeah they're, they're a great annoying unit and they're 80 points they're a steal i remember when they used to be 100 points and i still took them so when they got cheap i'm like thank you gw so yeah i know, I know as an opponent it would drive me insane especially with my free people where you know a lot of my army was based almost like a castle where i'd have a general or a hero you know basically behind a line and being as protective as it possibly could and having those guys jumping behind the line made me kind of rethink the strategy or the focus area. So um, it is it is a good ability and it's always that threat, uh, especially if you know, they know they know that you can teleport. It's just when and, uh, yeah. you know, keeping keeping your, your opponent honest and uh, always guessing. Yeah, it's that is great. So they're my battle line choice always. Chris, quick, quick one back to you for a second. Um, I, I'll ask you the same question I asked Liam. When you're building a sprite revs, are you going big units, small units? Are you going just one of them? What's what's a, a good guess for, for for that area? I'm always taking three units, just because you have to for the outcasts, and that's my battle line done. Most, pretty much all the lists I'm writing realistically are based on what I have, and I have 20 spites. So I'm either doing three fives or I'll do one ten and two fives, but that's just because I only own 20. Um, I have written a list which has two units of 20 and a five, um, which I think could be viable. Uh, The only thing I would say is they are fragile. They don't have any minuses to hit that dryads have. They don't get the extra armor save that big units of dryads have, um, and their bravery is pretty pants, so they could run away. Um, And they are on 32 mils with one inch reach. So for a 
for a combat output. Um, I'm not sure a 20 will do the work, um, so it might not be optimal, but I th there could be something in there because, yeah, in a Naru with Dreitra around when they're re-rolling ones to hit and wound, um, into the right targets, I think they could do some work, and it is still only 200 points for 20 models. So I think I think it's not a bad choice, um, but generally I'm just going three fives because there's so much else I want to spend points on. So Yeah, I think that's the beautiful thing about uh, Sylvaneth. Um, Laurie, let's talk about the ugly cousin now, formerly the the golden child, uh, the one that hasn't been spoken about yet. That is the humble dryad, or as we like to call in the free cities, the twigs. Um, talk us about dryads. What would we like them? Uh, how big are those units? How do we use them? What's the what, what's the take on on dryads? So um, the reason why we're all talking about Dryer's role being lessened is that there's been a big change to their uh, negative modifier to hit. Uh, it used to be within three. It's now wholly within six. Now, when it was within three, um, you could take one Dryer, put it within uh, three of a Wildwood, and then string them all out, uh, and they'd all be minus one to hit. And everyone loved that, regardless of what they say. Actually, they really enjoyed that experience. Um, but now, because you can't, because you can't string them as much, uh, it means that they that ability has been hit a little bit. Nonetheless, they've still got a really important role. Uh, first of all, they are, as we've said, they are still more tanky. They get a four apartment save if they go to normal models. Um, you can get them in cover, obviously, because you bring your own terrain with you. So them in cover on a three apartment save minus one to hit is still really tanky. Like if you can get them near an objective, that's still brilliant. Um, uh, that's the obvious thing about them. There's the other thing worth noting is that they are movement seven. Um, whilst we can teleport outside of teleports, we are predominantly quite a slow army. There's a lot of movement five in the book. Um, and movement seven, whilst it's not a massive difference, does just help you in those situations where you need to move somewhere and you can't teleport. Like um, there are, if you're playing a good player, they might be really good at blocking off their backboard, stopping a tree that's getting in. They might have stopped you from getting wildwoods down. Dryads can move seven is actually quite useful in that situation where you need to move places. Um, and that two inches can make uh, quite a bit of difference. Um, yeah, so I, they, they do still function in some of my lists. One final thing as well is uh, that they are a two-inch range. They're on 32 mil bases, but they are a two-inch range, which means they still do attack, attack in two ranks. Um, and if you can take advantage of something like an Arc Revenant, giving them plus one attack, there is still, I still think there's a list there where you just spam that. Like perhaps in Harvest Boon, you take 20 of them, they fight in two ranks with two extra attacks each. That's uh, eight attacks per rank, basically. The issue is they're still forced to wound, but um, there's a cheeky little artifact which lets you reroll wounds. Um, so I think there's still maybe I just like dry spam. Maybe I just like dry spam. Maybe there's something deep within me that just likes dry spam. But I still think there's something, something there for dryads, a different kind of role to true revenants and spot revenants. But I still write lists with them in. The battalion that they're in is amazing, though. Yeah, um, Forest Folk is actually got gives out of all of the battalions, in my opinion, they actually have the strongest ability from a battalion, which is uh, retreat and charge. And like we see that with Doors of Cain, where everyone's looking at uh, slaughter troop, where it's like the retreating, charging shenanigans and stuff. And um, and that just makes them so much more faster moving. Like they're not like you might be thinking, oh, they're in combat, they're going to be stuck there for a little while. Like Drive's like, no, no, we can now do this. And the fact that that battalion also fills in one hero slot and three of your battalion, I mean, three of your battle line, 
like you just lowered your drop completely. So that's also another thing if you want to do Dryad Spam is I would highly recommend putting in Forest Folk because really strong um, battalion. And yeah, I retreat and charge. I'll take that any day if I can slot it in. Like if I want to do, like I've written some lists with that and it was just too good not to like, not take. So yeah. Because it's an interesting dilemma there because Forest Oak um, is much better. Outcast, we haven't even mentioned Outcast's uh, ability, which is what D3 more flee if the Battleshock test has failed. Uh, I mean, it's all right, but there's nothing special. You're taking it because of the artifact of the CP. Whilst Forest Oak is a really powerful one, but Forest Folk. Uh, is min cost of 520 points. Yeah, you get yeah. a three battle line. Yeah, you've got a branch riff in there. But if you compare that to outcasts for 280, if you're viewing it as I just want to tick the box, then of course you're going to go outcasts. But if you yeah. think actually I'm going to take advantage of this ability, then you're going to go forest folks. So it's a really, once again, a really nice uh, dilemma within the book. Like you can do one block of 30, 20, 10, so 30, 20, 10. And then you, the two, like you got one, the 10 units going to chill at the back, let's be honest. And then the unit of 30 is going to go off being nuisance. The other unit of 20 is then just going to go off and be another nuisance, but not as much. And they can pretty much be like, as long as it has one character flying around, like for example, tree lords teleporting wherever they are, they're, they're generally going to be fine. Or even some Kona punters as well. Like your, your opponent's going to have a really crappy time and they've got to remember why dryads were busted. And they pretty much still are, but like, um, the, as Laurie said, the neck one hit has been changed. So, yeah. So, it sounds like that there is no one auto clued. The dryads used to be the auto include in the old book. It sounds like all three are now great viable options, all with unique strengths and ways that uh, could be built in battalions as well. So, just for anyone who's new to the book, uh, Forest Folk and Outcast that we referred to earlier are battalions that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, yeah. I, Chris, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say as well, the, the main thing that I think was prevalent in almost every list at the start of um, Sylvaneth in Age of Sigmar was um, tree revenants in a household because yeah. that ability to stop enemies from retreating is still huge. Yeah. And tree revs are still quite cheap. And um, I was going to say that when Laurie touched on earlier in terms of list design in general, is thinking of a concept of, that's very much how I write my lists as well because I write so many that I'll think okay what do I want to do with this particular list and so tree revs one of the builds around that I thought of is you can do them as extremely reliable assassins units to be honest of 10 they're one of the most reliable teleporting um units to then make charges with various buffs that we'll get onto um and with extra attacks they can actually make a lot of damage and suddenly with a siege piling as well if you're in household with that unit and you've got enough to kind of hold it, you can tag up so much stuff just within 2.9 that can't necessarily get to you because it's, they might have a rubbish battle line unit next to you, but there's a hero, the other side of that battle line unit that can't get to you, but it's within three. And you can just jump in and just tag so much of their army and go, well, you can't retreat from me. So you're now just stuck here. Um, yeah. And it's going to take them time to, to clear it. And when that's coming from a battle line unit as well, it's, always great like they have amazing options yeah anything else we want to talk about from a battalion sorry not battalion a, a battle line point of view i think we've kind of had a nice little overview of the three different battle line choices uh again no particular uh one stands out the most uh which is also a good thing um all our battle line have a horde discount which not a lot of armies get so 
you could literally spam that one battle line unit and you'll get them for cheaper. So that's another point to add in that we actually, our battle line is so like a great just to do big blocks of 20 tree revs or block of 20 spite revs, 30 dryads. They're pretty uh, good. I think tree revs could add 30 though, don't they? That's the problem. Yeah, so it's 420. That's even better. Yeah, That's I know. I mean, I've never seen someone run it. Please, someone run a thirty-tree revenants as fourth way. And tell us how it goes. Yeah, tell us how it goes. That's uh, that. that's all. But, yeah. That's all. Almost one fourth of a two thousand point army. So, or at least one fifth. Uh, so that's quite an expensive investment in one unit. So, Super cool, uh, if it's working, get into the chat in the in the comment section or or tweet us. One of us. There's only many of us on Twitter. Let us know how you're going with uh, a big block of thirty tree revs. Um, you guys have a lot of hero choices, and I think that's one of the sexy things that I like about uh, the Sylvaneth book. Uh, from my correct calculations, you have eight choices. Uh, you've got the Arch Rev, the Branch Wraith, the Branch Witch. Uh, you've got that Underworld. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I will butcher it. Uh, you've got Ilarial. Go on, Chris. Ilfari. Yeah, I was not going to go down there. <laughs> uh, you got Drychart, you got Durthu, and you got the Tree Lord Ancient. Dan, what's the first hero choice you'd want to call out in a in a list? Uh, and again, conscious that uh, the different groves are going to reward different play styles and different heroes. But you know, when you're when you're looking at hero choices, what's one that really stands out for you? Why? What's the ability that you really like? Give us the rundown. Well, the the, the sort of auto include answer is the branch rate, right? Um, branch rate incredibly low cost, eighty points for the caster. Um, it's the ability to summon a 100-point unit, but we've sort of covered off what's so great about the Branch Wraith um, up to this point, and she's always an auto-include. So I wanted to um, mention Drycher because I've put Drycher in every single list that I've written since. And people um, look at Drycher and go, okay, well, this is a model that didn't get much use under the previous um, iterations of the book, largely for sort of cost and vulnerability and she's still an expensive model she's still 320 points but you look at what she does in terms of the changes to her rules and the fact that she is a caster so i'm often playing um lists where the only two casters in my list are one branch wraith and drycher and the changes that drycher has had makes her more reliable so you used to have this mechanic where she was either angry or sad, um, which would either buff combat or shooting. Now you can pick at the beginning of the battle round. So not the beginning of your turn, but at the beginning of your battle round, you can pick whether you want to buff her shooting or buff her combat ability. Um, each of those have got an attack profile with 10 attacks. Um, if you buff them, and that's the one that you choose for that round, um, then you roll 20 dice instead of 10. Um, and you're very much fishing for sixes on both of those because she has abilities where if you roll a six, you get a mortal wound in addition to the damage. Um, I was just double checking that that was in addition. Um, no, it's not in addition. It's um, an attack sequence ends. Um, so important distinction there. Um, so very very useful let's talk about the other ways that you can use that so she is a 27 inch threat range when you take into account her um her shooting attack because she's got a nine inch move base and then she's got an 18 inch 
um, when she's at full health, an 18-inch shooting attack. So that is incredibly useful um, for being able to push up and snipe out small supporting heroes. So you're generally not pushing her forward and going to be targeting a horde with that because you're reliant on, on sixes um, for most of the damage. Though in saying that, even if you don't get sixes, then she's fours, threes, minus one rend, one damage. So you're still getting a fair enough in to take out a, um, a support character. So she's very, very useful for that. The sort of downsides, the 320 points we talked about, um, she's only 10 wounds. She's a three up save. Um, but she will go down if you're putting her in the wrong place. Um, an important thing to remember, and um, despite having used her in 10 games now, I have forgotten in every single game, um, is that she allows spike revenants that are wholly within 16 inches of the model um, to reroll wounds of one. So I always forget that. Um, which is that. She's a wizard. Her um, war scroll spell is not particularly good um, in that it's largely just focused on bravery so if you were doing a bravery debuff spell then you use it um, generally if i'm running her then i'm either taking regrowth on her as another backup um, for regrowth or um, if i'm feeling particularly aggro and aggressive i'll stick dwellers on her purely on the basis that i know i'm going to be shoving her into someone's face um, and then casting dwellers below at short range so Sick. that's lovely Drychar. Um, I, I do like that we're starting to see the, the return of OG uh, heroes like Drychar and Durthu who kind of got forgotten in the last, say, six to 12 months for, you know, in favour of Valerial. So, uh, he, he was never forgotten. I've no <laughs> idea what you're about. He was never forgotten. Well, was... for Liam, Liam, look, Liam, we'll get to, I'm sure uh, we'll get you, get to you and Durthu soon, unless I let Chris Welfare steal that, sh that thunder. <laughs> Uh, and then Laurie will be after that. So guiding the conversation, Chris, what's your hero choice that you would talk about? So um, Dan literally said perfectly what I was going to say in terms of I want to say this other thing, but realistically it's always the Branch Wraith because she just will be in any list. So barring that, uh, Tree Lord Ancient now for me is my where I'm going and loads of people are probably going, what? But uh, I think I think he's... I think he's back. Um, he's had a bit of a hiatus um, over the last year or so, um, mainly as soon as they changed his rule for setting up woods to be three away from terrain and models. It made them literally impossible. So I'm glad that isn't applied to all Sylvaneth woods now because the army actually is playable and it wouldn't have been. So the Tree Lord Ancient for me, um, I have two of them. I used to run two of them um, probably two years ago now, and I've always loved them. I think they're great. The way that they've changed his rule um, for auto bringing wood to the table now is great. It's not on a four up. You can automatically do it. The only restriction is you can only do it once, regardless of how many True Lord Ancients you bring. So even if you take two, you can only use the ability once per game. Um, but we've talked already and constantly, or, or any Sylvaneth player will tell you how important woods are. So having a hero that brings a guaranteed wood to the table, if you've got choice of deployment and also you'll know when you're deploying him if you have choice of first turn or not you can pretty much dictate see a space on the board and go cool if i set him up here a wood is going to be there and there's nothing your opponent can do about it if you know that you can take that turn or anything and you can just go okay cool no dice involved there's a wood there perfect and that in itself is super strong 
His command ability is really useful. A 10-inch bubble of reroll ones to save. Um, so that's great. Um, Colonel Hunters can use that as well if they wanted to, because they can be anywhere. Um, so I think it's really, really useful. Um, he can do work in combat because he has three D6 damage attacks. Um, not super reliable. The threes and threes, which is okay. Um, he's got an 18-inch range shooting attack, which is pretty good. It's twos and threes, rend one, damage D6, which twos and threes isn't bad. And when it goes through, D6 damage is pretty nice. Um, and then the, the thing for me is he's a tree lord, so he's bringing stomp which we'll talk about in terms of overall meta context probably later. Um, but that stomp, having one or more in your army is going to be really good for, I guess, being a part of the activation wars, being able to compete in it. Um, because it lets, on a four up, you pick an enemy unit and on a four up, they have to strike at the end of that combat phase. So it can let him at least try and have a swing before he maybe gets taken down or other units nearby take the swing before they get taken down, which is really handy. Um, and also he's a wizard wizards are really important to Sylvaneth so it gives you a more tanky one he's got 12 wounds with a 3 up save um, and obviously unlike Dreitcher he can take command traits and he can take artifacts which is really good um, and his signature spell has actually had a really big boost because it's range 30 now so it's the, the longest range spell in the book um, but you pick a Wildwood Holy within 30 and then all, all non-Sylvaneth units within 3 take d3 mortal wounds so once you start putting start putting woods on the table and and the game's afoot and you've got a few choices, your opponent's kind of got this fairly big bubble of if I go there, they can activate that wood and then I can take damage and um, so it's just he's just useful. I think he ha he has a lot of utility. He's not a all out damage piece. He's not an all out defensive piece, but he gives you a bit of everything. He gives you caster. He gives you some resilience. He lets other units potentially attack first. Um, he has some range poke. He can do a bit of damage if you roll okay. So he just brings everything. And most importantly, he gives you a guaranteed wood. Yeah. I quickly want to say, when this book first came out, and I sent it to Chris, being like, hey, like, check this out. The first thing you said was, Trilo Ancients are amazing. And we had a good 30-minute debate about it. Like, And I was like, actually, no, I see a point. You're good. They're back. But they're back. They're back. They're, they're, back. they're back. But like, am I going to put one in my list? No, but I do. But I do respect his opinion about saying like, yeah, Tree Lord Ancients are definitely back. All right, so. well, I'm going to stop you there, Liam, because before you start talking about a hero choice, and I want to let, let Laurie choose uh, the next one. So, Laurie, what's another hero choice that you would choose out of the eight? Um, I better talk about Alarial. Better we can't we can't not talk about Alarial um, as a Sylvaneth hero choice. Um, she's gone up sixty points, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but there's a few things which about her which have changed for, uh, and why she's important. First of all, she's really important because she is fast. Um, and similar with Dreyka, um, we, apart from, as I've said earlier, apart from teleports, we can be quite a slow army. So having something which can actually just push out there by themselves to where there aren't any woods is really important. And Alarion fulfills that role. She's um, a 16-inch move uh, when she's fully uh, at full health. So uh, she does that. Um, in terms of her role on the battlefield, she's very much a utility piece as well, just uh, a much better one than a Tree Lord Ancient. Um, she's got a solid combat attack, she's got a sh good shooting attack, she's got an amazing magic spell. Her magic spell, whatever it casts on, you roll that many dice, uh, and on a four up, an enemy unit takes a mortal wound. You can combine that with Throne of Vines, which gives plus two to cast. 
and so that you can do eight more wounds or something uh and you can also quite cheekily if you wipe out a unit using that spell set up a wildwood within an inch of the unit which is killed um which uh i i've had some fun with in the past of completely you just suddenly got a wildwood out of nowhere and you can teleport into that wildwood having killed something so that's quite cool um she's she's really useful as well as, well as her speed she's really useful because she uh, is your only multicast wizard there's an artifact you can take to create a tree or ancient or a wraith of multicast wizard but she's the only natural multicast wizard now artifacts are so much so important to the army there's so many good choices that actually just having a multicast wizard which you can put through vines on which means that you're more reliably spell casting uh is really important so Lariel fills that role as well so she, whilst she's so expensive she's a fast character she's a multicast wizard both of things are really important uh she heals everything within 30 of her d3 uh wounds per turn also really powerful if you're taking thirty or a tree of ancient or any or drake or anything like that at all um and she can summon as well she summons 20 dryers one of these uh once per game 20 dryers 10 revenants of either description a branch witch a tree lord or three kernoff hunters um all of which are great choices and what's really useful is the way in which the summon works has now changed and now you know someone at the end of the movement phase so if she can move 16 and summons wholly within nine which means that you're basically summoning 25 inches away in effect um and it's and if you combine that with cogs they can then charge and they could charge seven inches so you could take that you could summon up three kind of hunters with swords move her 16 summon up within nine they charge off and kill something and really surprise your opponent basically so while she's got more expensive the fact that her summon has changed the fact that she still feels a really key role in the army means that it, she is still sort of a really useful choice to have um i really like taking her with uh umbral spell portals uh, because you could either put that metamorphic spell, which is her war scroll spell, through the portals, or you can summon wildwoods through a portal. Um, and that wildwood range is 24 inches to summon, or through portals, it's about 40 inches, I think, is the effective threat range there. Uh, and that's brilliant. So she could very easily do Throne of Vines, gives a plus two to cast, then summon up some spell portals, then summon a wildwood through those spell portals, because uh, she's a three cast wizard, all by herself. And that that's really good. That's a really good combo you can do there. So as I say, she is a utility piece. Uh, I do hate her at times. She does die ridiculously easily. She just dies. Just not even double turn. Just dies all the time. Um, and she is expensive. And her beetles attack, which is the really deadly output uh, for a combat profile, five damage uh, minus two rend. It's forced to hit plus one if you've got five or more models in the enemy unit. But it just forced to hit. It's just. It's never going to reliably take out individual characters. Uh, I chucked her into some Bloodthirsters uh, the other week uh, with a double parlin, so 10 attacks, and she did a grand total of five wounds to them. And I just, just, just wanted to just kill her at that point. So she is, she can be infuriating in a way which a 600 point uh, or 660 point model perhaps shouldn't be, but she still fills so many things within the army that I do still love her. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. She's she's expensive, but she's good, I think. Uh, but knowing what she does uh, and and being very clear on that role uh, is important. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think it's probably as much as I begrudge that she's gone up sixty points, and I've kind of that's why I'm dropping her because there's a few other changes that were worse. She lost her own D three heal as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But 
I do agree the growth changes have made her more reliable in like if you take for example in Winterleaf yes you're hitting on fours but as you say six is doubling up is essentially plus one to hit plus one to and hit then when, and then when you've got that artifact of double pile in once per game you can actually get more from her than you could before because you'd never had the possibility of piling in twice and doubling up attacks so I can sort of understand some of the points increase in the overall context of the book um and yeah, I just wanted to say because I think Laurie might enjoy this. Her metamorphosis thing—if you kill a mod, if you kill a unit with it now to set up a wood, it's not within one; it's wholly within twelve now. Wow, that is good, isn't it? That is good. Yeah, yeah. I think there's—I really think there's real tricks there because your opponent just won't see it coming, um, and so it's a really nice little thing to do. Really nice little thing to do. Um, the one thing is with her, like, because just on that point of her going up in points. She just doesn't have a mortal wound save. That's the one reason why I was a bit upset she went up. She's got no mortal wound save, so she just dies to mortal wounds. Uh, and as long as she dies to mortal wounds, I just... Uh, 660 seems unfair. <laughs> but then I'm I, biased. Think, I think with her going up, though, she does summon 200 points for free. So she technically is worth 460, in the next sense. So you always like subtract to 460. But like the other thing is, though, is she went up, but... I think it's just because the community was quite upset that she could summon a unit of kind of hunters and then she just goes off on her own little tangent, if that makes sense. And we did see her heaps in the old school Dreadwood where she teleported, did like that, like set up moving, and then she summoned a thing. Some of it sounds like Chris is nodding, being like, I know what you're talking about, Liam. And then, like, next thing you know, like there was many things that we did in the last edition with the book that pretty much kind of made the community be like, she should go up in points, if that makes sense. So we kind of should have blamed it on ourselves because let's be honest, we're all guilty. She was an auto-take, as much yeah, as I've like, yeah. like, we kind of did it to ourselves, in a way, but she's she's still such an awesome model. I think she's definitely up there as one of the best GW models, hands down. Um, so, yeah. And just, Liam, sorry, Liam, one Liam, final thing. It, sorry, just it, one final thing on her. She, um, her command ability's changed now, so her command ability is no longer oh, yeah. uh, wounds uh, until the next until your next hero phase. It's now every single uh, phase, but it's reroll ones to wound just in melee. Um, that's really quite important because actually the one thing the army does lack are ways to boost wound rolls. We've got loads of ways to boost hits rolls, loads of reroll ones to hit, but actually there's very few ways to boost uh, rerolls of wounds. And on Colonel Hunters, that's really really good. Heartwood. Oh, anything. Really Heartwood. Oh, Heartwood. Heartwood's got it as well. But there's 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 not as many as there are to hit. Um yeah. and Larry does that. Um so yeah, worth noting. Yeah, she when she's in the army, it's definitely command point hungry. Mm. So, yeah. Great. Come on, Liam. This is your time. So I'm gonna be talking about the branch witch, right? Anyways, <laughs> um uh no, nah, Dirthu is my jam. He is he was my favorite hero from AOS 1, um, and he actually got better because he got cheaper. He went down 20 points for some stupid reason. Um, so clearly we didn't do gear strike enough with him and stuff. But um, Well, I think it's because in the last, say, 6 to 12 months, we had he, he's, he was called Derpu or Derpthu uh, because he was just he's, fluffing a lot. So you guys got a, he a still reduction? Is. He still is, um, but he's still so cool. Um, for me, it's just the fact that he's a 12 win hero, three up save, combat beast. Um, and also one thing that we should have noticed, like our heroes are very important and our wildwoods block line of sight. So Jerthy, even though he's a huge thing, if he's in a wildwood, you can't actually see him. So like he can't really be like shot or spelled unless the opponent flies. Um, he's but the that, that means of the mortal realms. Yeah. 
like you can't see me. And then, um, so that's one thing to mention. Um, the one thing that he does give to the army is plus one bravery, which as we all know that our bravery sucks. So giving Kronov's bravery eight and Triad's bravery seven and stuff, like it's really helpful for Battleshock. Um, and he has a four up fight last. And I think one thing that we forgot to mention is that the impaling rule has changed with Tree Lords. On an unmodified hit roll of a six, it's D6 mortal wounds. So if you can like, you can actually buff up Durthu to be a real combat beast with having like not just like five attacks with swords but like three or four attacks with the impaling talon for more chances to do mortal wounds like even more damage so yeah i reckon he's he's just my jam he's my favorite um and that is why like damage he does have the most powerful weapon in the game by damage i think so yeah, yeah. i'm gonna call that one thing before i get some comments from you guys i was surprised to actually see he wasn't unique I always thought in my mind that Durthu was unique, uh, but talking to Hayden Walker, he's like, nope, I'm, I want to have like a list of three Durthus. I'm like, what? And surprise, yeah. uh, even there's though it sounds like a named character, nope, he's I not. He's a spirit of a Durthu. I think there's 13 of them. Wow. In the in the narrative, I think. Yeah. Which is very cool. Like, I just wanted to call that out, that that is cool. I, I like that it's not a named character, uh, despite us treating it sounding like a named character. Um, which allows you to unlock so much cool value. Yeah, um, I, he, I took two Durthus to um, Heat one this year uh, and went four and one with them, uh, and it was great, great fun. Um, double Durthu is the way forward. I would take triple in a winter league and just go, just go Chuck balls to the wall and just putting a sort of yeah. judgment really scares me on Durthu. Just like just... Well, going it's going to it's more gear strike. Like gear strike. Twos and twos. Yeah. Same thing. Greenwood. Empty. <laughs> Greenwood Gladys. But, yeah. but the other thing as well is all the tree lords have ethereal amulet, uh, like have a three up save. So putting ethereal amulet on some of these things is amazing for your general. Like um, like a tree lord ancient, three up save, re-rolling ones because the command ability um, is really strong. So yeah, that's he's my choice. But um, another hero to note is an Arch Revenant. Um, we haven't really talked to him much because he's a new boy, but he is probably up there as the most command point heavy um, hero we have in our whole entire book. All right, I'm going to throw it to Dan. So Dan, talk us through the uh, the Arch Rev. They're currently uh, only available under the Loon Curse box. Hopefully we'll get unlocked in the near future. Talk us through about the Arch Rev. The Arch Rev is great. So the Arch Rev... Um... I'm, is again, has been in every single list that I've written. Um, the main started a bit of conversation in terms of the scene as to whether or not um, he's essential for a couple of reasons. Um, actually, she, sorry, is essential. Um, is one, the Archer Rev is 100 points. So once you've taken your Branch Wraith and you've taken a Dearth or a, um, a Lariel or a Drycher or whatever, then um, you might feel that you might be running hero heavy in points so 100 points is a lot but what do you get for it in short you get a highly mobile buff unit with a powerful command ability and a reroll bubble so again it comes down to what kind of list you want to run as to whether or not um the arch revenant is going to be of use or whether it's going to be du duplicative 
um, and giving you some um, extra options. So just talking through the abilities. So it's got a 12 inch move and it can fly. So outside of Valerial is the only thing that's gonna be flying in the um, list outside of an artifact. Um, it can fly because it is carried by the Zephyr bug, um, Zephyr spite on its back. Um, and the Zephyr spite has another rule, which is that at, um, you can choose at one point in the game, you can choose to allocate a wound to the flying bug on the Arch Revenant's back. Um, rather than have the Arch Revenant take it. So it's when you allocate a wound or mortal wound to this model, you can choose to negate it. So if um, you do so, you then lose the ability to fly because the bug has taken the hit for you, um, and you also lose the melee ability. Um, as I think Warhammer Weekly Tom mentioned on um, when they ran through the Silvernith book, you might choose to do this um, so that you can more easily hide an Arch Revenant from shooting um, in a wood, for instance. Um, because while he can fly or while she can fly, um, she can be targeted. So let's look at the reasons why you take her apart from the high mobility. Um, and it is very useful having something highly mobile to go to claim objectives and to follow around with buffs. Um, the bubble is a wholly within 12 inch bubble, um, benefiting Karnath Hunter units, giving them reroll ones to hit. So Heartwood, Karnath Hunters with bows, um, or um, following along behind your um, your main combat units as they're going in. The holy within 12 inches is quite useful because it means that if you fail to make a charge, um, you might still be in range of your combat unit whilst it is in combat um, to give it the buff. Um, not, if, not so if you're probably going to be running nine swords, but if you're running units of three swords, then you'll keep them within that buff. Um, and the other one is the command ability, and the command ability is very useful for attack stacking. So it's used at the start of the combat phase. Um, you pick one friendly Sylvaneth unit wholly within nine inches of a friendly model with the command ability, um, or wholly within 12 inches if it's your general. Add one to the attack's characteristic of that unit's melee weapons. So again, that's all of the weapons, not just one in that combat phase. You cannot pick the same unit to benefit, so you can't double stack it on the same unit. But if you've got CP to burn, you can spread it around. So those are the two main reasons why you're taking an Arch Revenant, is for those two abilities, um, combined with having a highly, highly mobile um, hero. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> um, interesting thing is he does fly. The she. one thing I think is that she, she still flies. Yep, she... She flies, but the really interesting thing is that when she loses a wing, she loses fly, but still movement 12. Mm. Like, so I, don't know G I don't know if GW, like, did that on purpose, Shh. but, like, <laughs> she is a fast runner. She's a it's very crazy. fast runner. <laughs> very fast runner. Even, like, screw wings. I'm going to sprint to that place. So, yeah, real yeah. interesting thing as well. Like, she doesn't really need to teleport. She can just go wherever she wants. Yeah. yeah. Stick with Hive, move 15. Um, Going to be gapping it around the board. Yeah. And you also, she she's not terrible in combat, but you don't need her in combat. So you quite often will be running her as well. So that's like 18 inches plus a nine inches bubble. Like that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. 
two more heroes we haven't spoken about would be the underworlds uh warband uh which comes with a hero as well as the guardians um i can see some cringes in the faces so far is this another warband that probably doesn't transition well into sigma uh shaking up the head to be honest though to be honest though we our hoy like our heroes already without them is already good enough for us we don't need they don't they don't fill a role in a slot like there there is no role that they fulfill competitively if you want to be a narrative player slot them in in oakenbrow i think they got the keyword oakenbrow so if you're running oakenbrow just put them in there but besides that like i don't see much of a use of them she's not terrible but as as liam says she's we've got better options she's 150 she's 180 180 180 mid uh, so 180 points uh, and she just doesn't offer enough for that um just take two branch wraiths or take a branch wraith and a unit of tree revenants to do it better or you can set up for a branch witch bomb with those points yeah uh we haven't spoken about the other little hero which was the branch wraith which 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 wraith Yes, the Wraith summons the witch uh, is the one that I'm going to go buy the Blood Bowl uh, uh, Rose uh, special character and convert up because I don't want a double uh, old dracha. Uh, who wants to talk about the branch witch? Wraith. Chris is probably Yeah, I always, I always confuse myself. I know the models, but I'm like, ah, oh, which one's which? Chris, talk Chris, to me Chris about it. Pro. The witch yep. is the new. The witch is the newer one with the scythe and the little man and the little grub. Um, yeah, the branch witch is. You basically take her if you want to do what I love is the branch witch bomb, as it's affectionately known, um, which is basically an AOE mortal wound output um, kind of set up really, because her signature spell um, on her war scroll, which is unleash spites, it basically hits all enemy units within nine. And it's similar to Alarial's signature spell in that you roll as many dice as the casting result, but it does mortal wounds on sixes, not fours. Um, but it's kind of a mini version. Um, but the great thing is it is AOE. It's not just one unit. So when you start to add things in like Throne of Vines to get plus two to cast, you put her on a Bailwind because it lets you cast the two spells. Um, also increases the range by six inches. Um, and then you can also do Spell Portal to kind of have that then 15 inch AOE going out from somewhere that's 20 inches away, hitting everything with plus two to cast. If you roll hot, um, you can actually do quite a bit of chip damage to an army. Um, certain armies will just get destroyed by it. Stormcast foot hero buff armies hate it. Um, I, I've, I've pretty much taken off two thirds of an army multiple times in two turns with it. Just And she's only 80 points. You add in 40 for the Bailwind. Um, she can do a lot of work for her points. Yes, you're investing in Bellwind casting that spell. Then if you're using um, the spell portals as well, it's another 70, but it's also another spell. And I think your number of spells or what you're casting them on is dropping a bit in Sylvaneth now outside of taking Alarial. Um, so you are using up spells. Um, and there's certain artifact choices that you would probably dictate as well to do that, such as the um, stave, which gives you allows you to cast an additional spell because that's kind of the main thing that you would take to set up the branch witch bomb so all in one turn you can cast throne of vines then you can get plus two to cast your bailwind and then you can still cast a third spell so you can still do unleash spites 
Um, and with the other caster, you can hopefully use another wizard to set up the spell portals for her in range. So all in that one turn, you can kind of put that branch witch bomb out. But outside of trying to do a branch witch bomb, you're better off just taking branch wraiths um, in terms of the casters because they summon dryads and neither model has any innate um, abilities that give them bonuses to cast or anything like that. But the branch wraiths get an additional minus one to hit if they're with wholly within six of a wood. So they're just innately more survivable. Um, so yeah, outside of doing a branch witch bomb, you generally would want to take the wraith from a competitive standpoint. Great call. Um, I I do normally normally at this point I would ask you guys about the non battle line units, but I think that's a debate that's going to be quite fiery and interesting. So I'm going to quickly take a side street into your one and only behemoth choice, which is your tree lord. Um, Laurie, any thoughts on the the traditional tree lord um, model? The issue is he's always in competition with Kernoff Hunters. The same points both of the 200, and he just isn't as good as Kernoff Hunters. Uh, if you compare him to three Kernoff Hunters, he's got less wounds, uh, sort of a worse armor save. That Kernoff Hunters armor save can be a four-up re-rollable armor save, whilst the Tree Lords is a three-up. Um, he his shooting his combat attack is swingy as hell. Uh, four attacks, threes and threes, minus one or D6 damage. Um, so he just. He just doesn't do it really that's the problem he's a little bit once again he's a bit of a jack of all trades in that he he's got one he's got a cinch move uh he's got a shooting attack but it's only can only five one damage each he's got a bit of a combat potential like he just doesn't do one thing very well unlike kind of hunters where you can just pick the type you want and they do it very well um the one thing which perhaps you might see him being used for is his stomp so Anything which is a tree lord, so that's a tree lord, tree lord ancient, and Durthu uh, gets the stomp, which has been changed now, uh, as we were saying, that makes uh, you pick a unit within three or four, it will quite last. Now, there's no reason why you can't have multiple stomps on the same unit. So you might take a tree lord, an ancient, and Durthu, put them all into the same unit, and then roll that four up three times. And because a four up is swinging as hell, but three four ups should guarantee you it. Well, it won't. But it gives you a lot greater chance to do it, basically. So that's the one role, perhaps, outside of um, Household, which we mentioned earlier on, where you, uh, the Tree Lord you can't retreat from. Outside of the trickeries of that, the one thing you might see with a Tree Lord is uh, it being used to kind of spam stomps, basically, and, and to fight and uh, to enter into those uh, activation wars, which I hate the phrase. But yeah, it, it, that is the one thing um, which, which he does offer. But he's just he's 200 points and... You just take three kind of hunters almost all the time instead. Speaking of Kernoth hunters, <laughs> let's talk about our non behemoth, but our only other choice that sits outside of the battle line, which is the Kernoth hunter. And if you're new to Sylvaneth, uh, the reason I'm I'm making a bit little bit of a deal about this is because it is the ever. Uh, the ever debate that's always going to happen. And I don't think anyone ever is going to work out which one is better. Is it the swords? Is it the scythes? Is it the bows? Um, and there's been many Twitter discussions that have happened with no resolution uh, on which one is better. So guys, how do we tackle this? How do we tackle the Kurnoths? I think overall Kurnoths are the winner in this book. Is that is that a fair call? Yes. Yeah, are we are we all fans of the Kernoff? Yeah, yeah. They should they should be 180 points, you know. But like we can live with 200. But yeah, we can we can live with that. 
All right, so I'm going to do a round robin here and just quickly find out first if you could only build one type of Kernoff, which would it be? Liam. Sives. Laurie. Sives. <laughs> Dan. Sives. Chris. Bose. Thank you. I'm trying to find like who could lead the conversation. Chris, lead the conversation. Talk to us about bows. Why are bows good? Uh, tell, basically, sell to the internet right now uh, why they should build their kernels as bows. Thirty and then range. Thirty yeah, and, then, and then and then remove yourself from the chat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. Uh, so first off, they've got a thirty-inch threat range. Talk to us some more about uh, this type of build. Yeah, so thirty-inch range um, range is super important for pinging off support heroes. Um, so many armies rely around little support characters that if you can kill that character, you break huge amounts of synergy. Skaven actually being one of them. Um, like if you kill a, generally, if you kill a um, arch warlock in Skaven like all the strong builds you take off two-thirds of their synergy so bows let you do that sides and swords in combat won't because they can screen you all day long but if you can just ping off their characters um 30 inch range there's almost nowhere you can hide from that um terrain dependent but given that you have multiple options of teleporting you can usually get an angle um all variants are equally resilient um in terms of that armor save so you just one unit of three gives you 15 wounds. Um, as Laurie mentioned before, you can get re-rollable armor saves um, in the combat phase. So if you're bunkered down in combat, you can actually have in in cover rather, you can have a three up re-rollable save. And that, that goes across all the variants, but having a resilient ranged unit isn't very common. Um, most ranged units, the weakness is that they themselves are quite weak um, and they can't take a hit back. Whereas Kurnoth Hunters with bows actually kind of can. The issue is, they can only now obviously shoot what they're in combat with. So if someone can bog you down, they don't have the ability necessarily to fight out of that in combat. Um, but for ranged poke, which I think you need in the army because you have other sources of combat damage, um, like Durthus and things like that, um, and defensive kind of screens that you can rely on, um, I think they're they're really useful. I, I'll, I'll never take an army that doesn't have some ranged threat in it. And so bows for me will always give me that yeah and i gotta say i love that they've split out the war scroll points uh for for the three varieties where uh, i think it's going to allow some uh some interesting mechanics in the future and at least tweaking and modification uh, which weren't in the old book so big win from me um that was the sales pitch from the bows uh who wants to step up and talk about swords i'll do swords. all right laurie Laurie, Laurie's going to do the, the sales pitch for swords. Why should I build swords, Laurie? Build swords to take them in threes. Size, uh, good in six, and I'm sure someone else can establish why you're there, but swords and threes are brilliant. Uh, swords actually got a little boost um, with Lunkus, uh, so effectively in this rule book, uh, where their sixes now do sixes to wounds, now do uh, mortals on top of their damage. Uh, swords, uh, apparently, statistically, are better against anything with a four up or less armor save than sides as well because they've got one more attack the one less rend but they've got one more attack uh, as base on their profile uh, so swords are great for just clearing out uh battle line units and stuff like that and also still pretty good against um uh, heroes and stuff like that 
Um, so swords are great and little threes that you just want to go around the board and just provide you with a secondary threat. Uh, swords in a, in a three aren't going to be the big focus of your army, but they are just going to give you that fallback option, something to clear out an objective if it's got some, some chaff on it or something like that, or a, or a smallish uh, unit size. Um, the, the issue with swords is that they're one inch range. Um, and so they can't fight in two ranks. So that's why people talk about scythes and sixes and why people uh, say the virtue of scythes is a two-inch range. So that's the downside of swords, but swords do get this mortal wounds, they've got more attacks. Um, and so particularly if you've got something in your army which lets you reroll ones uh, to wound or reroll to wound at all, then swords where you're fishing for those sixes to wound can actually be really quite good. Uh, so I'd say swords, if you're taking three, uh, then take swords, taking threes and take swords, particularly if you've got some kind of way of re-rolling wounds in your army, because you'll just get a big boost to add that with those sixes. Um, yeah, and so swords can just, if you've got a unit of 30 demonettes in front of you, then swords are a brilliantly place to clear that out, basically. Awesome. Dan, I'm going to throw it to you. Sales pitch me sides. Sides are awesome. They look cool. Um, and they're great in units of six. And I've um, <clears throat> historically run six sides as a, as a threat unit, just because you put it down on the board, you go, there's 30 wounds. Um, I have a large number of attacks, I have high rend, and I've got great reach, so I'm going to come over and I'm going to smack you in the face. Um, and so they are a great bully unit for that and for the, the moving forward, taking a punch. And you can, you can maximise the ability of the Kurnoths um, putting down roots. So all of the Kurnoths have the ability to put down roots and then at the start of the um, charge phase and re-roll saves, but only then being able to move one inch so you can't pile in um, very far when you do pile in. So if you take sight, if you take swords or something like that and you're in a bad position or you're in two ranks, then you're going to lose attacks if you want to take advantage of um, being able to re-roll your armor saves. While sides, you can do that and you've got the assurance that you've still got enough reach that you've got enough attacks hitting back. So sides are great. They're great against high rend. We haven't really had much high rend in the, in the meta. Um, but they're great for maximizing your um maximizing your arm save and your resilience liam anything you'd add to the sides discussion uh for me they just look cool um i was like the aesthetic um the thing as well for is when you pretty much put your like the re-rolling saves ability you can only pile in one inch so it's still a three inch that range compared to swords two inch which is, to me is like a lot better um and yeah like i also like the fact that like if someone screens something and they're hiding a character at the back you can kind of like swing over um and also you can do this thing with size where you can pretty much put like 10 dryads in front of them and then like size can just then like hit over so like your opponent's going to hit the dryads that a neg one to hit plus one save because that's what's built in and kind of size just over there just going yep cool we're just going to like just chop through halfway through while swords don't have that um but yeah like that's it. And then the fact that also for both swords and sides as well, compared to bows, um, they're hitting on threes, winning on threes. And since a lot of our command abilities are re-rolling ones to hit, we're hitting on threes, re-rolling ones. And then depending if you have a Lariel or you're running um, Heartwood, you're re-rolling wind rolls of one. So pretty much 
you're almost just going like, cool, I'm pretty much guaranteed hitting you and wounding you. So just take all these saves or take just D3 damage and stuff. And that's when it, I think it comes into it. So yeah. And I know you're a lover of uh, of the the um, the Kurnoffs. Um, how many how many would you have in a list, and what would that look like? And I'll, I'll ask the same question to everyone else. Uh, to Liam, uh, me, fifteen to eighteen. Is that okay, guys? <laughs> fifteen no. to eighteen. No. Fifteen to eighteen, and what does that look like from a, a build point of view? Uh, so currently, the list that I wrote for Heartwood and the thing that now I'm pretty much stuck with is nine bows because Heartwood has this thing where it's re-rolling all hits and then a unit of six sides and yeah and I'm also as well on the side as a hobby project going to be building six swords as well so yeah so pretty much I will hone more than 18 but I'll have like that stability so yeah that's pretty much how it will look so I'll do some shooting and then I'll do um, a combat Awesome. Laurie, how, ma- how, ma- how, how many or to build? Six sides. That's, that's in my list. I don't take much more than that. I am. Um, both are too swingy in my experience to make it work. And I would summon, if I take a Larial, I summon swords with her quite frequently. But um, six sides tends to be my go to. Dan, how many? What do they look like? Uh, is either a six side list like Laurie's, um, or is six sides and then two threes of swords? Um, I haven't taken bows since the grand old days of Winterleaf plus bows plus Hurricanum means sad <laughs> chaos players. Uh, yeah, those are good days. And Chris, uh, if I'm doing the Kernoff list, nine bows, six swords, um. Otherwise, the most I've got in is two units of three bows, but maybe most lists are one unit of three. Yeah. So and, and what? I'm an asshole from the sounds of things. Oh, I've got I've got 15, but my, I've got a narrative behind mine. That's uh, fine. Because... You can play you can play spam hammer. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just just to connect the dots from with heroes and kernels, by the way. So uh, there is some connection between uh, the archrev um, and your Kurnoth Hunters, and there's a bit of a, a command ability kind of thing that doesn't require a range. Is that correct? Chris, you're, you're nodding your head. Yeah, so Kurnoth Hunters have a rule where they always count as being in range of any command abilities, um, but dependent on the wording of the command ability, it can be a bit funny around that. So, like, the Tree Lord Ancient has a 10-inch bubble, um, as I mentioned before, to save. You have to pick... So it's not like you do that around him and any Kurnoths get it. You can either use it around him or you can use one unit of Kurnoths to be the projection of that bubble. Um, but things like we talked about with the Heartwood command ability, that one can't be used from the Kurnoths because you actually have to pick a unit within range of a Heartwood hero. It doesn't. It's not being affected on the Kurnoths themselves, so they can't actually do that one. So it's quite strange, but generally they always count as being in range of any command abilities being used. So Perfect. Um, so we've got battalions to choose from, and um, you know we've certainly got a range of them. You've got your forest folk, your free spirits, household, lord of the clans, uh, outcast, wargrove. Uh, that's it. Um, now, battalions seem important for you guys. One, you get some cool abilities. Two, it's an easy way to get command points. And I can't remember who mentioned it earlier that in some particular builds, uh, Sylvaneth can be quite command point heavy. Um, so 
round robin, uh, which ones are our favourites and why? Uh, Dan Shorts, take kick us away. Which uh, are your favourites? Italians, um, outcast, cheap, small, useful. So outcast allows us to have the sprite revs. Uh, I think it comes at what 180 points, so it's a, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. If you go like a yeah, a really cheap 280, uh, three battle line plus your uh, basic. Uh, so yeah, at the minimum. Um, is that the only reason why you're taking outcast? Is just to get a free command point artifact yeah. well, and lower in the in the ten games that I've been playing so far, I've been either using one battalion or no battalions, um, largely just to see what it's like to play with a large number of drops, um, and also thinking that the sort of list that I wanted to run, I couldn't really get down to um, four drops in an, in an efficient way. So if I'm not going to be at four drops, well, I might as well be at 12 or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, if I take a battalion, then it's outclass and it's purely, and I'm not taking min size. I'm normally taking, well, currently I've only got 40 spike bears built because they're expensive and hard to come by. Um, so I tend to have a, a 20, a 15 and a five. Solid. Laurie? Yeah, I agree with that for what it's worth. I think 25 5 uh, will be a really common setup for outcasts. Um, we mentioned it earlier on, but Forest Folk uh, is really good. Forest Folk um, is um, Branch Wraith and then three units of Dryers. It's 140 points, but it has actually got a good rule. You can retreat and charge um, for new units in there, which is really good with Dryers because they can, they're really good at dealing with crap units with chaff and to retreat and charge means you can hit something then go contest elsewhere and it's a really good ability that uh it's also as we've mentioned before it's it's one of the few ways you're realistically going to have a low drop army uh in uh in sylvaneth through forest folk because you're going to get within that your battle line you're going to get a branch ref in there as well and if you go a certain route like hypothetically if you had branch wraith dryads uh an arc revenant six sides and Alarial. Like that could be an army right there. That's five drops, uh, and chuck as many spells. Uh, and so you, you, if you want to be five drops or four drops, you're probably going to be looking at Forest Oak. I think that's the that's whilst Outcast is phenomenally good because it doesn't have any heroes in it. It, it means that you're looking at six drops more likely. Whilst Forest Oak can get you down to five drops or four drops. Uh, and so that it is more expensive as i mentioned earlier on like you're looking at 520 minimum going up quite quickly to like 690 if you've got a unit 30 in there like it, it, it quite quickly racks up the points but it does have benefits which come with that as well uh, both in terms of its abilities and, and just what it does to your army um so yeah so there is a, a, a once again a choice there within the book yeah i'd be i'd be interested in um your guys views on whether or not we as an army should be pushing for low drops given um, where woods are now and then the limitations on getting woods on the board, the, um, the changes to the mechanics on how we can get them, um, whether it's worth it, um, whether it's worth playing for low drop or whether it's just go, let's go high drop and um, learn how to play that way. So to answer Dan's question, I remember when we grudged at when I was over in New Zealand for Notorious GT, you I outdropped you because you decided to write a list based on like this. 
And I remember my response word for word is, I don't want to be double turned by current of hunters with sides. Do you remember that response? So I said, yep. you go first. And I'm pretty sure 90% of our opponents are probably thinking the same thing where they don't want to be double turned by a unit of size or a Durthu. So even with us having high drops, most of our opponents don't want to be double turned by us. So they're probably going to give us the first turn anyway, which is what we would be aiming for if you wanted to go for low drops. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then why overinvest in battalions in order to go low drops if you've got a threat piece, which means they're going to give it to you anyway? Yeah. Like my views on battalions is make your drops mean something in a way. Like if you got three battle line, just drop them all in one go. If that makes sense. Like, Outcast is perfect because it fills that role. And same with Forest Folk. Some of the other battalions that we'll probably mention soon of what not to look at, like Free Spirits, isn't worth it. But if you want to lower your drops, then you take it. And that makes sense if you're relying on that. But yeah. Like, Chris, I, what are I your don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think it's less important now. Um, simply put, one, two, three drop isn't an option. So you might as well write a list that doesn't rely on going first because as soon as you play those lists you you just at the end of the day you don't have that choice anymore we can't have control so i don't see the point in writing a list that doesn't work if you get forced to go second um so now it's playing to it um and i actually quite like the fact that now you're gonna mess with your opponent and go okay are you gonna let me have first turn and get my woods down or as Liam said, he's like, oh, I don't really want to get doubled. You could, you can force that issue. Um, for me, it's all about just writing your lists to be able to capitalize on going first or not getting hit too hard if you get made to go second. Um, so yeah, I, I just like the options. As much as I begrudged at the when I first read it, I begrudged, oh no, this is going to really hurt us um, losing the ability to auto go first in terms of placement having played it and read through the book, they've given us more mechanics for increasing charge ranges and things like that. So I think it's less important to have your wildwoods in the middle of the board because we can make charges from board edges now, basically, if that's where your wildwoods are. Um, so I think you can play the way most of the time I'm taking battalions because they're cheap and I love artifacts and CPs. I'm yeah. not actually taking them to lower my drops. I'm taking them because I love the artifacts and the CPs. Um, if I need to use a battalion to lower my drops so it gives me choice great i will but i'm not taking them for that purpose anymore agree yeah yeah any other like, yeah uh just like one thing like there's a few like as i said before we are command point heavy so probably getting more battalions if you can fit it in is probably worth it as chris said like if you're doing, have you have, let's say this, if you have Arch Rev in your list, you probably want to try and use this command ability at its fullest. So you probably do want to go two battalions mm -hmm. to have two CP and then start with one, if that makes sense. Um, so then you can like use this command ability and like, and since we also deploy nine inches away from enemies and probably trying to go for a charge, we need CP to reroll the charge if it doesn't go down too well. So. That's one thing with battalions. Like I've written some lists where it has both an outcast battalion and a free spirits battalion, and I still have five tree revs. So I've lowered my drops, and I get two CP, and then I get my third, and I also have an extra artifact. And as we all know, we said artifacts for us are very powerful. So yeah. Any other battalions kind of stand out for you guys? Um, 
I mean, things like the Lords of the Clan. Uh, uh, what else have we talked Jimbo's about? We haven't battalion. talked about. Pardon? Yeah, I actually like I just it. Said Jimbo's I, battalion. I, I like Lords. <laughs> I like Lords of the Clan. I'm. Um, yeah, I've I've got it in my list. I think my main list that I want to run at the moment is has got a Lords of the Clan in it, and an Outcasts and a Household. So it's three battalions <laughs> in one. Four Tree Lords, um, two Tree Lord Ancients, two Tree Lords. Um, I think it can work. So I'm I'm keen to give it a go. Laurie's shaking his head, but we'll see. Um, um, it's very cheap. It's only sixty points, so it's actually the cheapest battalion in the book. Um, the only downside is that you have to take two Tree Lord Ancients. Um, and as I already said, you only really need one in a list. Um, you can you can use that. He's a caster, so it gets you an extra wizard. Um, but it just gives you a bit more. It gives you some mortal wound output um, in the shooting phase. And having more Tree Lords gives you more stomps, as we mentioned before. So the fact that it gets you three in a formation um, gets you an artifact. It's super cheap like 60 points for a formation is amazing with the cp and an artifact built in so yeah um household yeah yeah household's good um the one i think that most of us probably all agree that's not great is free spirits yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cool high, I mean, high, high, high level why why is it not so free spirits i'll put forward a little case of free spirits uh once again in terms of drops i think if you wanted to have the only viable genuinely viable three drop army in the book uh is free spirits branch rafe sorry free spirits forest folk and um an arc revenant so like i think that's the one thing for free spirits if you wanted to be a three drop army and you do want that control then you can do it via free spirits and forest folk uh so that's that's it depends all turn running is it's the points cost of isn't it basically that you uh three spirits so three spirits is three and it's a kind of fantasy and a spirit of death which means that it's and it's 140 points of the battalion which means it i think it's 1080 it works out as min uh yeah. that's a lot that's a lot of points basically and actually kind of hunters you probably want to run at least one of those in, in a six uh which is where you start to run into the problems with it really i quite like the rule actually i think auto running six uh, end game can be quite useful if you're once again we're a slow army when there's no trees up if you need to get to somewhere i think there's something I, there if you... I would rather just pay 50 points for a command point in my opinion and save that for like another unit of tree revs and stuff but yeah, yeah that's like my thing but household telling you like throwing a tree lord in three up save re-rolling ones with mystic shield um and you're telling your enemy and enemy units can't retreat that's great so yeah Really Dan, good. Dan, I, I know you've got to run off very soon, so I want to throw this last question to you before you can drop off. I know mm-hmm. it's uh, work in the morning and it's quite late in New Zealand, so appreciate that you've hung out for this long. Uh, shout out to AOS Shorts. Guys, if you haven't checked that out, uh, you probably are new to Sigma. Go go check it out. Um, but you've got a couple of allies. You've got some ally choices in the faction that is Dispossessed and Fire Slayers if you are Ironbark, and then you've also got Ideneth Deepkin, Stormcast, and Wanderers. Um, what are your thoughts on allies? Uh, is it something that really can help you guys uh, as a faction? Is it something that is hard to justify uh, just spending points with? Like, what's your overall take on allies in this army? Well, um, there's a range of very interesting points here. So um, now that we're no longer one drop, then allies are no longer going to sort of break that one drop. So there's a new space to play with. Um, if we're going, well, we're not we're not fighting to uh, 
um, get choice of first turn, then we can explore allies more. Um, allies, apart from back in, um, well, I don't think I've ever run a Sylvanet list with allies, largely because there's been an option for everything that um, I felt that I've needed within the book. Now, if you were to go through the ally options, um, what are the most common ones that people pull? So Wanderers, most people, will, if you were to ally from Wanderers, then you're pulling Eternal Guard. You're going to have some a cheap block of bodies to stick on an objective, your home objective or whatever cheap. Um, Tyler Emerson's a big fan of the 20 block of Eternal Guard. Um, if you're going for Stormcast Eternals, then you might take a Knight of Zeros um, or you might take um, the Celestine Prime. Um, both have been taken in armies um, they both add very different things so less than prime gives you a tank a tankyish combat hero that's going to pop down from um, the heavens and unleash fury when needed and not Zeus is going to help with the rerolls um, you see some crazy people when we used to have the um, wood spam um, running a knight heraldor um, to blow up your own woods uh, yeah chris looking at you you can cover that one off later um, and Deepkin, so Deepkin, um, I'm thinking back to my good friend Lee Wilmot um, and his obsession with all things allies in Sylvaneth. Um, I think he's probably got the world record for trying the most ally combinations with a Sylvaneth army. Um, he ran at CanCon last year and um, might try it again, um, running Ideneth Deepkin Eels. Um, with the character that allows them to come onto the side of the board and the backboard edge um, to give you a really, really punchy combat threat um, just to come in. So that's sort of my postcard thoughts on allies. Chris, I know you're, you've got quite an extensive Stormcast force. Um, anything else that you'd add, add to that, especially uh, with such a deep, deep uh, battle tone that is Stormcast Eternals? Generally, no. Um, Dan kind of hit the nail on the head with the main allies would be the Prime. Um, Prime and Jiraicho used to be quite a big combo um, just for the, the kind of burst damage in one point with the Prime's AoE, Scepter, Shooting Attack, plus Jiraicho. Um You've got the Prime, as Dan mentioned, the Heraldors. I have I ran three Heraldors in a Silver Neth list at Sydney GT last year and went 5-0. and So that can work. Like, blowing stuff up definitely works. Um, and... Yeah, the Azeros is a really nice one for just reroll hits, um, especially as you mentioned. It works on range, works against everything. So rerolling hits of ones, quite nice. Um, but generally, there isn't too much else in Stormcast that you would want to take. Most of the shooting, you'd probably hamper yourself with your own woods um, from range, so you wouldn't really want to do that. Um, and you wouldn't need things like Prosecutors for dropping down because you've got Tree Revenants. Um, so yeah, the while they have an extensive range sylvaneth generally i find is best keeping in sylvaneth um because the army so much the, the core mechanics of the book in itself are all the units in it are just the best units generally i find that can be in the army um because stuff from outside the army doesn't get the benefits from the woods and things like that um but that being said eels i know the the six morsar guard or anything can be quite a good um, quite a good threat because they're fast they can start on the table so you don't necessarily need a soul scryer either so you can have that block of six um to go out and and hit stuff really hard without needing woods um so they're they're a pretty good pick i'd say 
before we move into customizing uh, an army list and kind of getting some some beautiful command traits and artifacts that might work well with the army, I'm going to pl plant a little bit a little seed uh, for the future, and that is. Um, you've got Cities of Sigma coming soon. So what that looks like with your Sylvaneth Force uh, in cities uh, could be something you might want to revisit uh, in the future. So who knows? Uh, but we don't know yet. The book's not out. But uh, in the meantime, keep an eye out for that book. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about from a battalion point of view? Or should we talk about customizing your force and then getting into that nice, meaty, sexy, tactical advice? Um, just quickly with allies, I think we've got the Spellweaver for an auto unbind. Like, that's quite strong. Like, if, let's say, Nagash is around, if he is over around after his point hike, um, like, if he, it's your, like, let's say he casted, like, Hand of Dust, right? You'd be like, cool, auto unbind, and you just save yourself your general. Like, that there is a huge thing, and she's only, like, 100 points. And she's just, like, a cheap Mystic Shield, can cast an Endless Spell if you have them. So she's a really good shout. Um, you did bring up with Fire Slayers and Iron Bar, um, in Iron Bark and stuff and Cauldron Overlords. The only ones that I would probably, if you're going to do that pathway, um, most people probably won't, but if you decide to do, Engine Riggers are great. Why are you nodding your head? They're great. You can't take KO anymore. Yeah, KO's been dropped. It's only Dispossessed uh, and Fire Slayers are under Iron Bark. <laughs> what? When did that happen? I swear uh, I read that. With this the, book. The book, it's it's no. in the uh, it's it's at the bottom where it says your allies are dispossessed only if a general's ironbark, fire slayers only if the general's ironbark, and then it's deep kin, stormcast, and wanderers. So uh, don't even no touch ironbark then. Don't even touch ironbark because they just took it out. <laughs> but um, but fire slayers have got berserkers. That's it really. Then like that's probably all I would do. They're still allies, mm -hmm. so you can only take four hundred points of them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would say, but, sorry, the Night Zeros, I know we talked about it, but Night Zeros is really good in Winterleaf because Winterleaf doesn't have any ways to reroll ones to hit. Um, unlike so many of the other ones, Heartwood, Harvest Moon will get it in some way. So Night Zeros particularly works well in Winterleaf. Yeah. yeah. I don't touch Stormcast, not, so I don't really know. I might sign off now, guys, um, as it's fairly late here, but thank you very much for having me. Um, if I may pose one question that you might address in the tactical analysis stage, um, is your approach to how we use wildwoods now in this new book? So where are you placing your pre-deployment wildwood? How are you bringing wildwoods onto the board in the game? Um, and how are you going to use them? So I'd be really interested in hearing your thoughts. But I'm going to sign off for now. Thanks, Dan. And let's, let's actually answer that one on the TR. Hmm? Sure. Let's answer it while, while Dan's dropping off. Let's, sure. let's ask, uh, answer the question. We might as well. Uh, tactical advice on, on deploying woods. Uh, Chris, then Laurie, then Liam. Uh, my starting wood is going to go center, centrally of the board, probably, um, given that none of them are going to be near objectives. It's all going to depend on what scenario you're playing in terms of where the objectives are or it's going to be in my deployment zone, giving me that initial launch pad um, or bunker. Um, and then after that, to be honest, it's the most advantageous place on the board you can put them, um, generally assuming that will be around the fringes rather than centrally um, because of the objectives, although one inch away doesn't necessarily have to be that far anymore. 
so um it's actually not too much of a restriction um but yeah i think they'll probably be more around the fringes and using them more as launch pads um and teleporting around for little alpha strikes throughout the turns to kind of claim key objectives rather than historically it would have been put them everywhere and bunker your army in all of the objectives and just challenge your opponent to get through it um i don't they're going to be much more tactical i think to use now it's going to be Sylvaneth have always been a finesse army, but I think they're going to be the most finesse they have ever been now, unless you are just Dan Bradshaw, Liam Burnett Blue, spam bows and don't care about Wildwoods. If anything, you don't want to summon Wildwoods because they'll block your own line of sight. So you probably put your Wildwood out of the way somewhere in a corner that you don't care about. Um, but yeah, I, I generally think they'll be used more on the fringes um, as teleporting kind of launch pads um, rather than bunkering down in them. Larry? Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. I, I very much uh, first wood falls into the launch pad kind of camp. I find, because there's so many restrictions on that first wood, I find it quite tough to um, put it anywhere apart from just on my backboard. Something which I will note on that, what I've been tending to use for my first wood is one of the old wildwood models, because actually I think what's great about the new wildwood models is they're much more flexible, much more adaptable. And that first one, if I'm just putting it in my own deployment uh, towards the back, I don't actually care so much about what its size is. I don't really care so much about how fitting it in. I just want to put it there. So I use an old old Wildwood model for that. And then when I start setting me up during the game, I want to be able to kind of choose and pick and choose and go for different options. Um, and so I want the new models for that. So we're doing that. Um, I think it is uh, exactly the same as Chris. You, you're just looking for the best position you possibly can. Now that it is one inch away from everything, that's not impossible. That's not possible. So I do think you will occasionally get them uh, in places like you would evolved, where they are just right next to an objective. That's that's doable. I do think that's doable. I think, and this is something separate, but if you go through the whole process of setting up terrain like the GHB tells you to, so six away, six inches away from each other, three inches away from objectives, or whatever it is, then actually you do find that there's quite a lot of gaps which wildwoods can be put in, um, and. Certain armies can block that off really easily, but other armies are going to really struggle to block off the whole board, and you can probably still get some good good places. Now, I just want to ask Laurie something quickly. Is it okay when setting up your wood when you're deploying to just put a wildwood in a space where you're going to put your wildwood down and put yeah. models around it and then take it off and go, okay, now I'm going to summon my wildwood here? Yeah, of course okay. it is. Yeah, yeah. You just you just happen to put it there. I might ask my opponent first of all whether it's fine to do that. Is that accidentally him or? <laughs> um, uh, I might ask my opponent, but that's fine. Did you have a little clash over that? Oh, this is um, Liam. Liam's it's just like, and I don't. I've been, I don't think it's cool, but I let him do I, it. But yeah. I've oh, I've been doing it that. since I've been doing yeah. it since day one of Acorn of Ages because like, yeah. the, long story short, right? One drop army. I know I'm taking first turn. Right, so I'm just gonna put that base or bases, bases like AOS one, deploy around it, and then I literally then take it off. Or sometimes I just leave it there because I know like I'm gonna take first turn, and then I just go cool wildwoods down. And then Chris, every time he came past, he goes, I don't think that's okay. Like the whole part of deployment is trying to guess the size. I'm like, no, get stuffed. I'm gonna see my template, and then he's just like, nah, I don't think it's right. And then we had a huge debate about it, and then everyone else says it's fine except for him. Uh, someone called Paul Buckler actually had a cardboard cutout, which was uh, a forest plus three. 
so or possibly one or whatever it was, so he actually would put that down so he knew exactly where to where to put his models. So it could be worse. But um yeah. I've never stopped it. I've never stopped Liam doing it. I just feel like he should get better at, ga- at gauging the spaces he can put it down. But <laughs> it's I'm, so I'm, I'm, all right, I'm on Liam's side on this one, but I can see why Chris is saying uh, what he's saying. So, uh, Chris, Larry, I'm going to apply. Chris gets triggered on my English. So this thing here is like another level for him. Like <laughs> so, so many things about but tri- Chris triggers like it just triggers him. All right, I'm using a command point now to move us into command traits. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've applied a command trait and we are looking at this. So assuming that you haven't taken a war grove uh, and you are going, I don't know, non-war grove or whatever the um, the, the terminology is, uh, you Create guys your have – choose your own adventure war grove. Uh, you guys do have a bunch of war, uh, of command traits. You've got ones called the aspect of war. You've also, I think as Chris pointed out as well, you've got a wizard-only version, which is the aspect of uh, renewal. Um of the aspects of war or aspects of renewal, maybe round robin, Liam, is there any ones that stand out for you and why? War Singer, plus two to charge. So good. So War Singer sits so on the good. aspect of war. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the one when like when this book first came out, I quickly ran to see what War Singer did, because that's the one thing I only cared about was like what does War Singer do? Um and then for the wizard only one, I probably would have to say you can attempt to unbind one extra spell or even like at six, like, to be honest, I actually haven't really, like, read the wizard ones because, none. like, I never put a wizard as a general. But I'll probably do add one to casting rolls for this general while it's wholly within six inches of it and Waken Wildwood because, yeah. let's just say this, right, a branch wraith will probably be your general if you're making a wizard a general. I know Chris is going to say Trial Ancient, but branch wraith getting add one to the casting is super strong, especially when you want to summon dryads. Uh, uh, before I ask Laurie and then go to Chris... Um, who would you who who's a good candidate for war slinger singer? Was Dirthu. Okay. It's it's Dirthu, and then you send in Crown of Hunters with him, and then you tell your opponent, do you want to concede now or later? Like cool. <laughs> Apply it to me. Let's dance. Laurie, where are you at? Command traits. Um, I would just say one the um I agree entirely, War Singer and then the one which is plus one to cast. The one which is plus one to cast, you can particularly combo quite nicely with Spirit Song Stave, uh, which gets lets you cast is an artifact which lets you cast two spells. So both of those spells would be a plus one. So that's that's yeah. if I was looking that way. In all honesty, I think the only command trait I would take if I wasn't taking a wargrove would be the war singer. That's the only situation really building. Because uh, I think a fundamental dilemma in the book is that you really struggle to do enough things consistently. You can build an army which does one thing really well, but then you're lacking in other areas. Warsinger means that you don't have to have a reliable spellcaster because you've already got cogs up just automatically, basically. So that just ticks that box for you. I don't have to worry about cogs. I don't have to worry about spite swarm hive and how I'm casting that because I've got that. And so if you were looking for redundancy, then Warsinger is the only one I'd go for in that respect. Um, um, one thing I also want to add in quickly is Warsinger affects friendly units while all the other traits are only affecting the general itself. So it's a very like egotistical kind of trait. So that makes sense. Like it's very much like, like it's focusing on that one model. When you're playing Sylvaneff, and as you've probably been listening to this podcast in this video, we're talking about full army synergy. You want to pick a trait that is going to help not just your model, but your whole army around it. 
And that's why War Singer is a really good option. Agree. Good shout. Chris? Yep, they said it. War Singer, then Glade Law, but generally War Singer would be the only one I'd build a list around. All right. Chris, while we're, while we're speaking, Chris, let's talk Artifacts of Power. So, again, assuming uh, we haven't got a Wargrove or uh, we're unlocking one through a, 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 a battalion, uh, which ones kind of really stand out from you? Uh, okay. Well, there's a lot. There's four whole tables. Yeah. There's four so. whole tables. So how do we want to do this? Do we, do we, let's let's talk weapons first. So okay. throw the weapons uh, at me. Greenwood Gladius on a Durthu, plus two attacks. Uh, Larry, <laughs> weapons? Uh, Weapons-wise, so Greenwood Gladius, sorry, just to add on top of that, um, if you combine that, it's quite good in Dreadwood, because in Dreadwood you might be teleporting uh, across the board, and so actually uh, that, that's quite a nice little combo there. Um Beyond that, if I see, I disagree with Chris there. I um, it's the one area I'm still going malign sorcery. If I'm putting an artifact on Berthu, I'm giving him Girth Strike, or actually maybe Doppelganger. But I think we're going to talk about that uh, in a bit. Um, so yeah. actually, none of the weapons for me. All right, and, and we will we will talk about malign sorcery artifacts as well. But while we're looking just at the book, um, we'll just call out a few good ones. Um, Liam, any any weapons stand out for you? Uh, ancient Bark Blade, damage seven. That's insane for Dirthy. Like, so add one, add one to the uh, one. Pick one of the melee weapons. Add one damage characteristic to the weapon. Yeah, or you could put it actually onto the massive impaling talent to make it two damage, as well. So like you could do that, like just to increase damage output. But I reckon seven damage Dirthy is going to be like having a field day. Okay. So, yeah. While but we're chatting, I, Liam. Yeah. What about what about the boons? Um, I probably have to say, uh, Briar Shith or whatever it is. Briar Shith. one to hit. Yeah, Neg one to hit. Like, debuffing your opponent is probably it, really. Or another one, Night Blue uh, no. Garland. Oh, you can't okay. choose two. You can't choose two. Good. I'm going to go to Laurie, then Chris next. Come on, man. Laurie. Uh, Night Bloom. Yeah, Night Bloom is a quite cool one. You're not visible if you're over 12 inches away from him. Um, uh, your opponent, um, like on something like a branch trophy or something important like that, or a tree lot ancient. If you're worried about being sniped off, things like um, change host, things like KO, they can come down and take off your key heroes. So night bloom garland, meaning that you just can't be seen if you're outside of twelve, is it's pretty good. Um, I sort of think I'd actually take any of them again if I'm completely honest with you. I don't include any of those boons in there. Um, there's just better artifacts out there for us. Um, but Nightbloom's got potential, um, as does Brashief. But again, wouldn't take any of them. Chris? Uh, yeah, Nightbloom would be the only one I'd consider, um, simply because everything else Malign Sorcery has a better version of. So there's literally no point because you just take Malign Sorcery. Um, but Nightbloom's the only, I guess, unique item um, that you can't get from Malign Sorcery, um, which, yeah, can protect heroes. You can protect your Arch Revenant. Um, just chuck in with that somewhere, can't be shot. So your Kurnos can always use his command ability. Um, so that's, yeah, that I pro I haven't written a list really with it in, um, but it's the only one I'd look at from the boons. What about the Verdant Treasures, Chris? Uh, again, I don't really take any of them. Um, although Life Wreath, actually, I got it wrong when I was talking about the Oakenbrow build, thinking it was the trait that you give up. Um, it's actually not it's um it's a treasure so that on a multiple tree lord 
build could actually work um, because in your hero phase, you roll a um, dice and on a three up, you get to heal D3 to all Sylvaneth units within 10. So you kind of make up for like, it's almost like a mini Illarial heal within 10 rather than 30 um, from an artifact, which is quite nice. Um, so yeah, and then the, oh, that's my one. Sorry. That's all right. Stopped, Larry, stopped. Yeah, let's, let's not do, let's not do Liam. Larry. Uh, my one is Crown of Falboa. So this is the one which I'm, I'm currently experimenting with and really want to make work because that ability, we roll all wound rolls, is absolutely phenomenally good. Like the ability is incredible. The problem is it's so restriction range of you pick uh, a unit within six inches uh, in a combat phase. So that's quite tough. Like picking something within six inches is quite restrictive, but the ability is brilliant. So that's what I'm currently trying to make work actually is Crown of Falboa's um, because as I mentioned earlier, outside of um heartwood there's less ways uh, to re-roll wounds outside of heartwood and malarial so i'm trying to take crown of elbows to give me a bit of redundancy there actually um a unit of size or a unit of dirt through, that can really help with actually so crown of elbows is the one i'm trying to make work i do think it'd work best on an arc revenant uh, in the current list i've got it's actually not on an arc revenant but i do think on an arc revenant would be quite nice because if you've got his movement 12 as we've discussed so that's a threat range of 24 uh, for this ability, if you ran him, if you've got um, Spike Swarm Hive up, it's a threat range of 27 for just picking a unit, and you can just run him at the ball and point. So I do think, um, yeah, I do think that Crown of Elbows is one which I want to see if I can make work, because if it does work, I think it could be actually really good. Liam? Uh, wouldn't really pick any of them, but probably the Everdo Vile. Add two to run and charge rolls for the bearer. Put it on like someone like Dirthy. Just make him forage charge with Warsinger. But that's it. But I wouldn't really touch any of them. But yeah. What about, what about the relics of nature? <laughs> Acorn of ages, mate. Why? Always. Who who gets it? Uh, either a branch ray for a branch witch. Just free wildwood, and you'd make a launch pad. So, so once per like, battle, hero phase, you can summon a free wildwood. Yep. Um, one inch away from other models, terrain features, and objective. Sorted. Hollywood 12. It's good. It's really good. Um, I use that as a launch pad because my wildwoods are like generally in the center. So, yeah. Laurie? Uh, Spirit Song Stave is brilliant. Uh, Spirit Song Stave, you can cast one additional spell. Uh, so you put that on a spellcaster, give them Throne of Vines. The cast Throne of Vines gives plus two to cast, and then they cast something else. Uh, Classically, uh, Spice Horn Hive, which gives you pluses to charge, or Chromatic chromatic Cogs, which does the same thing. Um, it makes uh, summoning um, Dryers more reliable if you want to do that. It makes summoning Wildwoods more reliable if you want to do that. Allow, it gives all kinds of options, basically. As I said before, you've only got one multicast wizard in the army, which is Alarial, who's a lot of points. So if you are looking for other ways, then you do that. As Chris mentioned earlier on, combining with Bailwind work, Bailwind works quite nice as well because you then got a three caster uh, with plus plus six range. Um, so that's a good combo. Spirit Song Stave is a really good one. Chris, Vesperal Gem, um, and this is the one I was I alluded to earlier when I said in terms of artifacts. And the first time I read it, going, this is probably one of the best artifacts in any book I've read in terms of reliability. Um, basically once in each of your hero phases when you want to cast a spell from the sylvaneth spell law then you say you're going to use the gem you don't have to roll to cast the spells automatically cast and most importantly it can't be unbound so it's just incredible if you're like 
I need this regrowth to go off, or I need this whatever spell it is. It can't be woods because that's not a spell in the spell law. All the wizards know it, but it's not actually a law spell. Otherwise, this would have been phenomenal. Um, but that artifact, um, like I'm quite using it on the in root on the Tree Lord Ancient General with the trait. If he casts a spell, then he heals D3, or you pick a unit and you give him regrowth, and it guarantees me a D6 D3 heal. So, because the amount of times you need a regrowth to go off and then it fails, with that it guarantees my regrowth, and because of the trait, it is also guaranteed to get that other D3. So, um, I really like it for for anything reliability. Um, I, I love it. I think it's an amazing artifact. We've we've alluded to malign sorcery being uh, a good place to get artifacts. Um, what are some of those, Chris, that you? Uh, would call out that that might synergize better, or maybe there is a uh, an artifact that sits in malign sorcery that is just better than what Sylvaneth have on on offer. Um, I mean, Laurie and Liam have mentioned it as well. If I'm going to do a combat Durthu, my options are either giving him plus two attacks or probably taking Gaia Strike from um, the Realm of Life to give him plus one to hit and plus one to wound, because then he's twos and twos, and there's quite a few ways in the book of getting rerolls, ones to hit, and potentially reroll ones to wound. So then he becomes really, really reliable just with the five attacks. So you have to weigh up whether you want five attacks with reroll, uh, five attacks with plus one to hit and wound, or do you want seven attacks without the plus one to hit and wound is kind of the trade-off. Um, but Guy Strike is a very good artifact on a Durthu. Uh, Laurie? Something for me, which I think is actually really good, is a Doppel-Durthu, Doppelganger-Durthu. Um, first of all, it lets you play in the Activation Wars, um, but what I really like about it is that you choose the order uh, at the start of the combat phase, so you can roll that full-up dice, um, and if you get it, you can just store Doppel doppelganger if you make someone fight last you store doppelganger until later on in the game uh, and it just gives you because gambling on a four up is never going to be a good tactic but with doppelganger you're not actually gambling on it you just you know, every time you put him in if you failed uh, the four up you activate doppelganger you can't be attacked um if you make the four up then you can just save doppelganger for another turn uh, i think that's a really nice combo uh i know uh, a number of players who uh, really struggle with slanesh and it offers you that counter to slanesh as well actually which um which is really good um, because they make you fight last um, and you just go, okay, doppelganger, there you go. So you're attacking me um, and doing nothing to me and I fight back. going to go twice because I'm in uh, Winterleaf and stuff like that. So I think doppelganger Dirthu could be a really good shout, actually. The one thing I have wrong with doppelganger is when you go up against Feck, let's say, with their or like Corn, where they strike first in combat because they're the start of the combat phase. So if it's their turn, they get to go first. That's probably your only thing with doppelganger. However, though, everything else, you're pretty much sweet because Sinesh is at the end of the charge phase that they get to do their two up and then your start of combat phase thing. But um, yeah, like I, yeah, I kind of see where Double Ganger is in a good place, but the only, there's two armies though out of the three in the activation wars where they kind of don't care about Double Ganger in their turn. It's not really. First of all, I think, like, look how much Slanesh is a smashing face. So it's not so much about the activation wars so much as countering Slanesh. Like, when, yeah. it, when it really dominates as Slanesh is currently doing, you need to think about an individual army, and that's what Slanesh are. I also think yeah. it's generally good, not even just against, I'd say, it just lets you not have to gamble on making that four up. You make the four up, you save Doppelganger. You don't make the four up, you activate Doppelganger. So it just gives you, you can be much more aggressive if you're dirty. You can sit at Dirthu in the middle of the board and go, Come at me if you want. Uh, I don't actually mind um, because he's going to get to attack you first. Um, yeah. I also 
I've tried it in Winterleaf. I do want to try it in um, Harvest Boon too, where you activate it and then he runs away after he attacks. So yeah, you just yeah, you just can't hurt him. Can't can't Coward <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, for me, it's either Ethereal Amulet or um, Gear Strike, because three up ignoring Rend makes him so durable. Because as we know, we don't have much of a mortal wound save, and we when heroes come up with Rend two damage and stuff like a Terror Geist and stuff, you go cool. There you go. Or Agnex Scales for ignoring mortal wounds on a four up. Or Agnex Scales, yeah. Yeah. The only one I would call out that you guys haven't called out that I've been thinking about a lot is the Aether Course Brooch, just to uh, hope, get, get, considering that I, I'm running a very uh, heavy Kurnoth and, and very CP kind of orientated Sylvaneth list, getting that Aether Course to attempt to get more command points on top of the battalion and all the other good stuff that uh, the army has access to. So um, can be the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, lots lots going on, lots of cool choices. I think, uh, again, this kind of comes back to right at the start, which is like, what's the theme? What's the what's the thought behind the army? Uh, and, and the two ones that we haven't touched yet from a customization point of view is spells and endless spells. So let's go to the spell table first and the lore of the deep wood. Uh, you've got six choices. You've got Throne of Vines, Regrowth, Dwellers Below, Deadly Harvest, uh, and two others. Um I'm not going to keep reading them all out. What do we like? What don't we like? Where are they good at going with? Laurie, kick us off. Uh, which spell do you like and who is a good recipient of that spell? Um, so it depends a little bit on your setup. Sorry, I know that's a non-answer. Um, because, <laughs> <laughs> because so many of the spells are uh, on sevens. Uh, you've got, like, the, the brilliant one is... Uh, the one which brings back Kern of Hunters. What's called again? The Virtuous Harmony? Virtuous Harmony. The Harmony one. So that's that's really really good spell, but it is on the seven. So if you are trying to cast that, uh, you're not going to have Throne of Vines because Throne of Vines is separate. So if you're trying to cast that, then you're doing it on a natural seven. That's tough. So if you're taking Vesperal Gem, the autocast, then Harmony is brilliant. Like just bringing back a kernel of hunter automatically is phenomenal. If you don't have gem, still include it. It's it's in a lot of my lists, particularly if you've got a kernel of hunter that heavy lists. It's really worth taking. It's just you are gambling on it. Like uh, a seven is always going to be a bit of a gamble with any bonuses to cast. So I think harmony is perhaps one of the best spells in there. The issue is the casting value of it. Chris, yep, completely agree. Um... I think that's why I think with all wizards, the main change for this book was that all wizards can cast woods and mm. every single Sylvaneth army has access to Virgil's Harmony. Whereas before only Narut had that spell, which is why so many yeah. people took Nar took Narut because that spell is amazing. Like you say, just regrowing a whole Colonel Thunder can be incredible, especially if you've taken three or four wounds on one that heals up because there's loads of access of easy healing or regrowth and you grow another one back. You like going, you're gaining nine odd wounds or something into a unit and it's, it's really good. Um, that's the reason I've been going null route for the reliability. Um, I take the Vesperal gem, which gives me the auto cast on that spell if I want it, but also the other artifact of chalice means you cast on three D six and then use the highest two or whichever two you want. But generally it's always going to be the highest two. Um, so that helps me get that spell off. Um, Throne of Vines is great for Alarial, as, as Laurie mentioned, but also if you want to do a Branch Witch Bomb, 
or any anything really where you want to use um like multiple spells through one caster so you can be doing a, a rewinding time cogs ancient for example for two cast three up rerollable save or a branch witch on a bailwind throne of vines is a good candidate for them um because it lets you obviously have more reliable casts on multicasting um does throne of vines stack if you have it on multiple <laughs> casters technically yeah technically, so no casters because you can still only cast the same spell once in a hero phase however they have changed the wording since last book and read like words as written if you don't move that hero you can at recast all spell. yeah if you don't move or set them up or teleport them you can recast that spell every hero phase and the plus two stacks and that was what i was referring to yeah so uh which is interesting because it doesn't say until your next hero phase or until x it just says if you don't move or um it's set up in a different location that's when you get the plus two so put if on a bail wind if by interesting you mean stupid then then i agree yeah it's clearly oh, i don't think i'll be it's doing a mistake it. it's a mistake sorry i don't Maybe I shouldn't have said it, something, but it's no, it's a thing where it's definitely a mistake that they've written and the fact that no one really picked up on it kind of thing. And also just so you know, the FAQ hasn't actually got an errata. All we have is designer commentary, which I find interesting, but they actually haven't fixed a ruling. So I'm guessing they're probably still trying to sort that out. I don't quote on me on it, but that's maybe maybe in the next six months, next six months or something. But there isn't actually an errata; it's just designers' commentary, which is like the rules where we actually cared about. But um, for me, spell cast uh, spells wise, there's only two spells I put in my list because I always have a backup one, and it's regrowth and venomous harmony. Um, because the other ones are very situational, especially tree song. Like that is the most situational goddamn spell I've ever read in my life. Um. Like what the hell? Pick um, one in, pick one enemy unit within sixteen of the caster and within six of the wildwood, and so yeah, I can you can reroll hit and wound rolls of one. Like there's it a command. Good. Your it's whole good, but... being able to get reroll hits and wounds of one against a unit. I was thinking earlier, like you say, there isn't ways. There aren't many ways of getting reroll wounds. That's mm -hmm. one, and every army can have it um, without spending CP. So it is a good spell. Good. Um, but it's casting yeah, value seven. It's probably. Yeah. The problem is it is probably fourth down the line of spells you pick. Um, so. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, really. Uh, Dwellers Below is pretty much um, is the Branch Witch spell, but in spell law form. So if you don't have a Branch Witch, you just take Dwellers Below. Um, cool. But, yeah, that's it, really. What about Endless Spells? So you guys have, what, three? You've got the, the Glade Worm, the Hive, and then the Skull Root. Um, do we like any of them? I think I've seen the hive being thrown around a lot. Um, I see a lot of head shaking for the people who are listening to this on the Mortally Wounded podcast. Uh, so let's talk about the hive first. Uh, why do we like the hive, uh, Chris? Oh, Laurie was excited. I feel like Laurie wants to talk about that. <laughs> I thought I'd to you because people on the podcast might want to hear your voice, but let's go to Laurie then. Go, Laurie. <laughs> I love the hive. I love the hive because it gives you so on a, on a, a cast on seven on a two up. It gives you plus three to charge and plus three to move, which is phenomenally good. Like plus three to charge is just brilliant. But plus three to move on top of that as well. If someone shuts off your woods, kind of hunters moving eight and charging plus three is actually still pretty fast. Like that can still threaten the center of the board really easily. That's still really good. 
Um, it's also lovely because unlike cogs, it doesn't affect your opponent. Um, I put in cogs in my list to begin with. I forgot how annoying it is boosting my opponents, running and charging and all the rest of it. It's infuriating. Uh, it lost me the game I was playing. And so Spider Swarm Hive actually doesn't do that. Just boosts you. Uh, it does just sit at the back because it's only within eight inches, this little bubble it gives. Um, but it's a really nice boost for you to you. As we said before, a lot of your woods are going to be at the beginning, at the back of your board in your own terrain, in your own deployment zone. So you just set up around that. And then for things like tree evidence, they can just sit next to it, um, getting that boost and then teleport wherever they want on plus three to charge with a reroll. That's just going to go and take whatever you want. Like your opponent's never going to be able to leave little characters by themselves if they're not if they're worried about them getting taken off because the tree rooms are just going to make that charge. Um, so Spite Swarm, I think, is really good for fifty points. I think it's really, really good. Um, brilliant fact. It's almost like they saw us take cogs and decided to make a spell just for us for that. Yeah, I like, agree entirely. It, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like I'm pretty sure we can all say last edition everyone had. Um, yeah, it's just, it definitely is one of those spells that they made just for us because they saw what we were doing. What about the other two? So the Glade Worm and the Skull Root. Uh, I mean, I've seen some potential value in the Glade Worm. I haven't brought it in just yet, but, um, Chris, tried, what do you think? I tried all three of them at the start and the one I was most underwhelmed with was the Worm. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really hard. I found to get it wholly within eight of units and or units that can benefit from the heal or your opponent just moves it slightly and then it's it just didn't do much and a d3 heal or a d3 more wounds isn't as impactful um so for me i'm not really spending the points on the worm um it does reflect i think the fact that it is the cheapest um the skull root i like because it can it can do d6 mortal wounds if stuff's within it's three or maybe even six of a wildwood um because it can target multiple units once stuff is fighting over objectives and you've got woods nearby you can hit an endless spell out that can do d6 mortal wounds to multiple units and the best thing is it does nothing against sylvan earth it can't be used against you mm. it's amazing um and then you add on the fact that if any non-sylvan earth models flee um due to battle shock within three of it then d3 additional models also flee and that's also the what outcasts does mm. And outcasts give minus one bravery. So if you're trying to do a little bit of a bravery bomb, I think now that Horrorghast exists, Horrorghast with outcasts and a vengeful skull root could destroy elite armies because you make one model flee and two D3 additionals are fleeing. And like you, you, people talk about taking eight Dracoths or something, you make one of them flee and bye bye. Yeah. Like, oh. it's the power in that. And also the mortal wound from the skull root is probably enough to kill the Dracoth you need to force a battle shock. So um, I like the skull root. I'm not so keen on the worm. But Spite Swarm Hive is the best by far and away. Liam, anything you'd add to, to that? I like the worm because it looks cool. But, um, <laughs> but like, generally, because it looks like a Pokemon. But that's just me. Um but one thing I like to say, mention is like, they're all good. They all have their place in a way, but the Hive is definitely the better one, even though it's not the best looking model, in my opinion. Like there are some cooler looking models for like endless spells. Um, and I generally go by rule of cool and sometimes, but um, the one thing I like to mention is again, Skullroot is on like our version of Pendulum. Like, you know how in our very first thing, when we talked about um, area control, how we use the Pendulum to deny area, 
that's literally our version of pendulum and like in a way to like scare like a bully unit in a way like being like don't get near this area because it is quite scary getting d6 mortal wounds near a wood if it's the woods let's just say like wood near objective skull root nearby do you really think your opponent's going to try and get that objective if he's going to get d6 mortal wounds plus also wildwoods on a five up do d3 mortal wounds when they get a spell cast near them so that could be a potential it, yeah it could be a potential nine mortal wounds so good call but and, yeah, and, I'm, and, and, okay, man, why i was just gonna say why you mentioned the rule of cool is probably worthwhile calling out here that you know everything we've talked about is very tactical very tournament orientated obviously if you're setting up a, a sylvaneth army and it's about uh, a hobby it's about you know exploring a law you know obviously do what you want to do, play how you want to play. This is more about getting the most out of the synergies and the builds to to play well at a tournament and an event and, uh, you know, uh, do all that good stuff. So just to keep that in mind, I'm sure you guys have caught on that by now. Yeah. Yeah. I If I was going to pick two to, like, out of the three pick two, I would do the Hive and the Worm. Like, is that's it just me. Is there any that you guys would pick outside of uh, of the your your allegiance ones? You know your, your pendulums, your um, your what, Chris. You're not you're nodding your head. What what out of malign sorcery or forbidden power may fall into your Bale, list? Bailwind, cogs, um, and potentially portal, but only if I was taking a Laryl or a branch witch bomb. Yeah, Laurie. Yeah, um, cogs. Cogs. The only thing I play with cogs is that um, if you are summoning with Valerial, then uh, her summon would get the benefit of cogs. Whilst, of course, it won't get the benefit of Spice Swarm Hive. So that's one benefit that cogs does have over Spice Swarm Hive. Is that if you are playing with summoning with an aerial and then pushing her summon in your opponent's face straight away, then cogs has got the advantage there. So cogs. Cogs does have a look in. Is 30 points more than Spice Swarm, which is why quite often it doesn't make it to the final cut of my lists, but it does have that bonus there. So Cogs is the one I mainly consider. Yeah, look, I, I personally struggle to get uh, as many endless spells that I wanted in my list just because I was just filling it up with battalions and units and, and heroes. So uh, it's a hard sacrifice, unfortunately. If only we could have all of our toys in a 2,000-point match play environment. Uh, what a world we'd live in. We'd be a narrative world. Um, we've kind of customized our force. We've talked a lot, guys. This has been really in-depth. The last thing I want to talk about is the tactical analysis and advice that you would give to a new player or someone who's looking to go from good to great uh, based on your experience, your uh, insights, uh, maybe the discussions you're having on the tabletop. So uh, to bring it back, new player, you're going to talk to me and say, Anthony, What's the advice you're going to give me about playing Sylvaneth on the table and getting the most out of them as a new player? Uh, Chris, then Laurie, then Liam. Okay. From my experience of playing in the last three years is if you play more on the defensive side early game, you will win more games than you will lose. In terms of if you, if you push out and you overexpose yourself, turn one, you will you will cop a double turn and it will cost you the game more than if you play turn one possibly even turn two as well defensively um the army has the tools to push back um very easily with charges um and push forward in the late game um 
so yeah i think you need to not go all out aggressive cogs fast forward time turn one in my opinion Lauren? Go. Go um the the tactical side of it i think uh, sort of agreeing and disagreeing at the same time i think it's about finding your play style because actually i think that they can work with a push in your face kind of approach if you build your list around that and if you practice with it so that you've got a plan in place for when that doesn't do what you need it to and for playing all five turns like if your plan is i go aggressive with these six sides and get them as far forward as i possibly can and they sit there and basically go to the opponent you've got to deal with me whilst the rest of your army is off doing other things. Like if you if you play that in Dreadwood, for example, you might pick up sides, put them in the most inconvenient place possible you can for your opponent, and then go, you've got to deal with that. Whilst you're doing that, I'm going to go and score points. I know that's the way which a lot of players played the old Dreadwood as well. So I think there is there is, there is is a lot of adaptability in a book. So work out what your play style is, uh, and then work around it. Um, I agree with Chris. I think a defensive way of playing with it can work really well, but I do think offensively could work as well. Um, but you would have to think about redundancies and think about what you're going to do if it doesn't go to plan. And Liam? Uh, there is the great thing about this army is you can play it different ways. And the only way you're going to find out your perfect style of playing is practicing is pretty much my bit of advice. Um, I worked out quickly that I like aggressiveness. If I play defensively, I will probably fall asleep on the table. Um, as Chris likes to say, if my game's not finished in 25 minutes, what's going wrong? Um, so pretty much I tips wise is like, if you pick your battles, like you like, let's just say this, right. If you're not buffing up your charges, nine inch charges aren't as awesome or like as easy to get as you think. Um, even if we have a reroll, it's still a nine inch charge. Like it's still like highly unlikely. So if you don't have that in your toolbox in your army list, then you might need to change your game plan to go aggressive. If that makes sense. Like if you want to go aggressive, get the tools for that list. If that makes sense. Like it's all fun and games putting 21 kernel of hunters with scythes. And then but if you have nothing to buff up the charges, like what's the point? Yeah. That's that's my thing. Like you when you're writing a list, if there's something that you want to do, make sure you have the tools to do what you want to do. That's life lesson for every Warhammer player, and uh, yeah. maybe maybe prof professional as well. Getting the job that you need is the tools that you you need to build. Uh, almost like I've been hanging out with you for too long now, <laughs> getting all these business things in my mind. But yeah, I guess it's with yeah with any synergy, you have to think about how many components there are to that synergy and how reliable each component mm -hmm. is. The more you start adding on and the more aspects of unreliability you start adding on, the more risky it becomes and therefore the more likely it's not going to work and then it's going to backfire. So you have to think, okay, if my strategy is around, I take this unit, this buff goes onto it, this happens, this happens, this happens, you need to go, okay, have I put enough into the rest of my list to make sure that that spell guaranteed happens? Cool. I've got the gem. I can guarantee that spell happens. I need this character to be alive, this CP. Okay, I can do this thing where I put them in a wildwood surrounded, they can't be seen. Fine. Do I have to, like, and you just have to go each step of what you're trying to achieve. How reliable is that? If you need to make a nine inch charge and you don't have a hero nearby and you've got no buffs to charge, probably wouldn't rely on that strategy because it's not going to happen more times than it's going to fail. So, yeah, you need to put in those redundancies and 
yeah, the the casting of swarm for plus three to charge. That in seven. itself, you can't just say, okay, I've got swarm, so I've got the charges. No, no, you need the spell cast. So you have to think about the reliability of yeah. the cast itself. So then there's all of those. And then even then, it's on a two up. So if your strategy revolves around, I have that down, turn one, and it works. If you roll a one, turn one, mm, not great. So yeah, no. the best thing is to decide how you want to play, come up with your strategy, and make that strategy as reliable as you can within the confines of the 2K list. Yeah, like, for example, let's talk about the charge thing. If we really want to make that charge, and you don't want to think about all those things, like you just want to do the most simplistic thing, then maybe you should not be running a like a glaive or whatever we're calling it now. Just go to no glaive and put down war singer. Like you just know you got plus two to charge. Like that is, that's the thing. So like stuff like that, you have to start thinking like, what if I just cut out the whole middleman thing, and just go straight to this? If that makes sense. Like that's that's pretty much it. And the great thing about this book is there's so many options to do that. I think that's what. Sorry, that's what's really interesting about the list is, uh, sorry, about the book. It's really hard to do all of that. Is that if you're looking to do something consistently in one area, you want Spice Swap up, right? That's one thing you want. But you also want to get World Wars down consistently and reliably too. You also want to do good damage output. Ideally, you want a bit of shooting as well. Like you you want good movement. Like you've, you've got all these things you're trying to do. And I think you can make a list which does one of them really well but more than one it starts to struggle with. And I think that's, if you're a silver enough player, that's what you really need to think about. What are you going to do consistently and what are you gambling on, basically? Yeah. I just want to pick out something that Chris mentioned as well that I think we could go deeper into, and that is the word redundancy. Uh, when I thought about uh, my, building my Sylvaneth list and I thought about that uh, because my army is very Kurnoth heavy uh, and I only have three units of five Sprite Revs, to kind of hold battle line and, and objectives, I'm thinking I need to be able to summon dryads. And, you know, do I just rely on having one hero that can summon or do I have two of those that should one get, get deleted, I've still got that redundancy or I've got two characters and I can choose the best place to put those dryads. So for something like that, and I'm sure there are many other scenarios, uh, redundancy in this particular army um, to get that reliability is, is very valuable. Great. Yeah. Yep. Um, based on all of your experience, uh, you know, you guys have done very, very well in the, in the competitive scene. Uh, what's some of those top tips that you'd give people that we haven't already explored yet or what kind of comes to mind, uh, when it goes from going from like good to great, this is like going from three, two to maybe four, one in a tournament or maybe even five Oh. Laurie, you go. <laughs> That's what I passed there. Um, so I think you have to keep your head through it. I guess this is the general point about Sylvaneth, uh, sorry, general point about gaming, but I think it's one with Sylvaneth in particular that you're often always in the game. Like I've had bad first turns and bad second turns. Uh, not often in terms of losing models because uh, I, as we've said earlier on, double turns really have threat to you. But um You've, you've got the tools because of Wildwoods, because of teleportations. You've got the tools to always drag your way back into it. So I think learning how to use the Wildwoods and learning how to keep yourself in the game by doing that is a really useful thing to do. It's the most powerful thing that Sylvan have in terms of their uniqueness 
learn how to use them spend time learning how to use them um and don't don't give up on yourself eh? what a positive message to have um don't give up on yourself and don't give up on the game like you there's always that chance that you'll get that wildwood wildwood off in the useful place teleport into it make that charge claim it um i've had games in the past where um, i was playing a chap called owen angel court where i really balls up my first two turns like really balls them up uh, lost a lot of my army but then i got a double and because of teleportations dryers teleported across the board uh, well, i summoned up a wildwood which i teleported into claimed an objective got the double turn teleported away from that same wildwood took another objective um and as a result of that won the game and it was pulling out of my ass but the wildwoods let you do that so learn them and stick with them Chris? Yeah, I think I think that's yeah, really good points. Um, especially in terms of the you can usually claw your way back. Um, I mean sometimes you'll just take too much of a beating and lose a key piece and you can't. You have to know the point where, okay, I can't come back from this, but um the armies surprisingly can put out quite a high bit of damage in a focused zone. Um mm. with, if you've got range and you've got a mix of combat and things like that. I mean, to put it into context, me and Liam played a game, for example, um, where he was playing flesh eaters um wasn't wasn't gristle gore fortunately but it was still a, a very strong tournament army of hollow morn and turn one i messed up with my deployment and he took in with his general he took out a unit of colonel thunters and alarial before i had a turn so i'd lost over a thousand points effectively in my army without doing anything and then i won that game with dreicher and two units of bows um and then literally just <laughs> summon summon dryads and spites and i took out i just focused on okay the immediate threat here is the ghoul king i can take him down in a turn and then okay i can bog the horrors down with dryads minuses to hit um and then just engage them on the end because he had them strung out and then summon dryads more for the next turn charge him with 10 horrors actually don't have a great armor save got the double turn so he didn't have the chance in between to heal had set up woods to teleport and take his objectives and you end up just doing that chip um, and actually that's fighting your way back from a thousand points down before you've had a turn to winning a game, which we were both surprised about, but actually when I added it up, the Dreitcher damage and all the, the chip damage can actually just rack up. Um, so yeah, it's being aware of what you can do. Um, and always like whenever I play, I'm always eyeing up the board for spaces for Wildwoods, um, mm. in terms of going two, three turns ahead, potentially going, okay, if he moves over here, I can put a wildwood there and then i know i can launch pad from this one over to there grab it and then with tree revs as well now and hive we can do that more than we ever could because of the the guaranteed teleport anywhere on the board um and with plus three to charge re-rollable charge and six inch piling from tree revs um they're really good um quite a lot of the groves can make tree revs really choppy as well actually with extra attacks um or re-rolls to hit harvest boon for example tree revs i think will do a lot of work or a double piling in unit of tree revs in Winterleaf um would be amazing because they pile in six inches every time as well so laurie where you mentioned before with dryads trying to swing around if you can do two six inch pilings with tree revs you can really get far across a board and take objectives and outnumber um and they're choppy for their points they're surprisingly choppy i think if you get 10 into people with an extra attack and some re-rolls you'll surprise people with how much they kill um so yeah i think it's just always being aware of what your army can do in a turn in terms of damage output and positioning um and always just trying to mitigate what happens if something goes wrong um yeah that's a pretty awesome advice 
Laurie? Well, I've gone. I've given my advice. <laughs> oh, sorry. Chris, Chris has just mesmerized me so much. Yeah, I'm like, like, stared into his eyes. And... Like, it's just so beautiful. Uh, Liam, <laughs> Liam, bring us home now. One of my top tips. Yeah, like what are your top tips with the army? Run forward. Uh, and, 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 and in particular, I know, uh, you know, yourself and, and Chris have a very different play style. You know, Chris is, uh, I don't want to say Chris really thinks about each and every decision, you know, very much like a scalpel. Oh, no, trust Liam, me, he does. Chris is a scalpel type type uh, player. You are a sledgehammer. And I know uh, there are some people who are very interested in a, in a very aggressive Sylvaneth list. Uh, and we'd be very interested to know how, whether it's through Dreadwood, whether it's through Heartwood, whether it's just generally how do you play this army uh, more in that style um, that might not be as common as, as you know, the, the, the Chris and Laurie approach. It's funny you say that because the list that I'm currently thinking at, it isn't move forward exactly. It's very like, like even though the other day I did play move forward, but looking back at it, I can play it quite, defensive plus aggro but at the same time defensive if that makes sense so like i'm not I saying that wild... you can't i'm saying that you enjoy aggressive style i do i do enjoy aggressive style but like if you're going to do that buff up your charges and buff up your movement like that's that's my tip and then like and this and you probably have heard me say this when we play and stuff like i think about numbers statistically of like how it's the chance of this happening like if i measure stuff i'm like oh if it's an eight inch charge it's going to happen like 60 percent of the time or maybe not kind of thing so like i literally think numbers wise it's might shock you, but I do think numbers wise. Um, and I always go for like, whatever's the highest chance thing. Um, but currently with this army, the, the way I play it is you play aggro defensive. So you place your wildwood aggressively, but you place your units there defensively. If that makes sense. So like you put current of hunters in cover, right. Or you place whatever in cover and then you call your aggressively placed, but you're going defensively in a way where it's going to be a nuisance to your opponent. Because if you tell your opponent it's a three at re-rolling save, they're not going to have a great time because they're not going to hit you as hard and you're just going to hit them harder, if that makes sense. Um, also, know your threat ranges. Like, I cannot emphasize that when it comes to playing in Age of Sigma, like, in for, like, for everything. Um, ask your opponent what is their threat range and if it's going to affect you and then see if you can out threat range them if that makes sense so like we have a 35 inch threat range kind of hunters if they're set up with bows on the field um, and let's say their spell casting threat range is like only 18 inches so you can literally stay out of range or like stay out of like whatever range of their movement stuff and then just attack them and they can't hit you back if that makes sense um, and we're the probably one of the only few armies that can do that if that makes sense. Like we are very much can out threat range people better than they can to us. So, um, and use your wildwoods in all your best advantage. It's line of sight blocking. So if you're going up against shooting, use it, fucking abuse it pretty much like abuse. This, this is really crappy to say, but whatever <laughs> rules we have, abuse the crap out of them. Like take them full on your advantage because then you're not using the full allegiance abilities. We have them for free. Like these rules are for free. Like our point costs are in it. So use and abuse it. Like your opponent, your mates are going to hate you. Some of them probably won't even play you again, but you're <laughs> doing well. I think it is worth noting on that. I'm not going to go quite as extreme as Liam did that, but I do think it is our religious ability. Like at, at times, I think you have to be a bit pushy about the Wildwoods. People will get annoyed, as Liam says. 
they are your allegiance ability. You wouldn't turn up to his inch play and go, I don't really like Destiny Dice, do you mind just not using them, actually? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the, I, I wish I could say that, and people would say, yeah, but it is our allegiance abilities. As you say, we pay the points for them. Um, so if you if your opponent is there kind of maneuvering terrain around so you're not going to get any down, I would push back and go, no, actually, no, I've got, I've got to be able to go. I don't want to take the piss. I don't want to get down four Wildwoods across the whole table and take it all up. But I want to be able to get down some Wildwoods. Like, that's not unreasonable for me to for me to want that. It is a bit of a tough one of the book, but I think you've got to push about it. You've got to say, no, look, I, this is part of how my army works. I need them. Yeah. Put your like, foot down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I can't emphasize that, like, you just have to use and abuse it. Like shooting is going to come back in six months. Like I can see it already happening because of this, because of this like whole like activation more thing. So shooting's coming back, and guess who's going to be ahead of everyone else? We are because we're going to block land of sight. And also one thing to emphasize as well is use the mystery table because if you get overgrown, you are cheering. You are like yes, this is like extending it. So pretty much use and abuse this game system is my way of saying it. The one thing uh, I would say to remember actually on the, with some little changes based on the line of sight blocking is a few of our spells actually need line of sight now. Yeah. So Virtuous Harmony is one of them, for example. So if you want to regrow Kurnoths and they're sitting in a wood, you actually need to be able to see them. And most of our casters other than Alarial don't fly. So you need to be either have those Kurnoths not in a wood and have direct line of sight, or you need to be sitting the character that's got it within one of them so that they can actually see to cast that spell on them um whereas before all of our spells were just a you didn't need visibility um so that is something to be aware of if you are a sylvaneth player that was playing before there is that small distinction but it actually does have a big impact um and the wildwood placement the new woods as laurie said like it's very important to be able to place them um and the new woods actually you can use multiple kits to use different size pieces of the curves and make very different varying shapes or like or sizes of wildwood um if you use three of the really small pieces for example you can fit wildwoods in really small spaces and you'll have a less reliable space to use because it's smaller but you also get a wood there so it's all about knowing if you've got a few of those kits you can make longer ones you can make thinner ones circuit more rounded ones but you just need to make sure they're always pointing inwards um and then as long as all the tips are touching then they're fine Guys, this has been yeah. awesome. It's been incredible. This has been almost three and a half hours of absolute knowledge bombs from Chris Welfare, Laurie Huggett Wild, Dan AOS Shorts, and Liam Shadowhammer, Burnett Blue. Guys, thank you very much for being both on AOS Coach and Mortally Wounded podcast. Guys, if they want to chat to you, I've left your uh, your Twitter handles in the comment section below or the channel description, but for those people who, uh, who who may not know it, Liam, where can they find you on the internets? Shadowhammer underscore on Twitter. Uh, feel free. I already have had people message me about lists and stuff, so keep going. Keep sending me lists and stuff. I can give you some advice on that. Um, and also the Warhammer Age of Sigma Sydney page. I'm still there. Um, and, yeah, and also I'm on the Age of Sigma Sylvaneth page as well. Um, the I think the OG one, but, yeah. That's Larry, uh, LHWAOS um, on Twitter. Twitter. And fi finally, Chris, this will sound very funny on your podcast, but for the people on YouTube who are on my channel, where can they find you? 
you can find me at wounded mortally on twitter um, or i'm also hanging out in the main silverneth whatsapp group along with laurie That's true. Um, we're always chatting and throwing out ideas chatting to loads of tree bros so it's a good chat if you want to join in there and for i don't the say much and for the benefits of people listening to this on the Mortally Wounded podcast, I am Anthony, AOS Coach, sitting on at Anthony Magro on Twitter or YouTube. You can find AOS Coach and you'll find all great faction focuses like this and many more, as well as a whole bunch of cool stuff that we do. So, guys, this has been awesome. Lots and lots of knowledge. I'm really excited again to pick up my Sylvaneth. If free people uh, get killed in the, uh, the cities of Sigmar and they keep OPing my stuff, uh, I will be back and my list is ready to go and my stuff is built and you guys have lit the fire uh, up my butt. So, guys, thank you. I'm excited. Lots of fun. Uh, have a great rest of your week and uh, let's keep uh, what, kicking ass and get rooted. Yeah.